Good morning, and welcome to the last episode. <laughs> oh, it's so <laughs> sad. It's, so, it's okay, Dave. We're here for you. It's okay. You're verklempt. <laughs> <laughs> you catch that catch that reference, Trish? Do you remember that old that yes. old Saturday Night Live bit? Yep. All right. I thought so. Yes. <laughs> anyway. Good morning, and oh, we're on the very last episode of Girls in the Dark. We know we've set, been saying that for about uh, six episodes in a row now. Yep. This, this is really is. No, really. This is the last. <laughs> well, okay, fine. We'll do one more, but then that's the last one. No more. This we'll have the special season. extended edition episode, but that's more like a, you know, like a after the series is over special. Yeah. Then we'll have, like, the reunion episode. <laughs> there will be. Well, we're going to have a reunion episode because we will need to talk about the uh, the Battle of Five Armies Extended Edition when it comes out. Yes. You know, so. Absolutely. So later this That'll year, there will be a reunion. Yeah. But uh, And, of course, it's not like, you know, it's not like we're breaking up the band here exactly. I mean, no. we're going to be starting our new project, you know, soon. So Renaming the band. Exactly. It's, it, it, exactly. It's more like renaming the band than than breaking it up. So, yeah, that's um, right. That's right. So it's not nearly as sad as it as it as it would be. Wow! Did you see this post from from Michael Matola? He said he started listening to Riddles in the Dark in January, like two months ago, and he's listened to every single episode <laughs> up to oh now to try to catch. So he managed to catch <laughs> us for a live episode. For the last time, he's caught up on three years of Riddles in the Dark in the last two months. That is serious dedication, my friend. That is. Oh, my gosh. That's got to be an interesting experience, actually, listening to it that crunched in time, too. You know, for the changes in the program itself and also as the movie changed. And so we had to change, you know. I yeah. Think it's a, it... <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, oh, and we should, uh, 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 Yana is reminding me very appropriately to tell people if you go to, uh, Yana, the link is on the Riddles in the Dark page, right? If you go to the Riddles in the Dark webpage yeah. on MythGuard.org, so go to MythGuard.org and click on Riddles in the Dark in the Quick Links box is the easiest place to do that. Um, there should be a link, a little bouncing link in the bottom right-hand corner to a, a live chat room that we have available to people. If you guys want to chat amongst yourselves during the episode, of course, you use the questions box on the uh, control panel, your go-to webinar control panel there, to submit questions directly to us during the show. Um, but if you want to chat with each other, you can. You can. Uh, you. Can. That is also possible. <sighs> All right, so so I'm uh, so I'm your co-host Dave Kale, and with me as always are Lambert and Vulcan Olson. I think I think our last episode has had the smoothest introduction we've ever had. I mean, that's Fun. really <clears throat> that was pretty that was pretty remarkable. Very good. Welcome everybody to our final episode. So today we are going to finish going through the answers to the riddles in season three. We did the first half of them last time. Um, we're going to do the uh, the rest of them today. Um, that, only the riddles that were in question. Yes, uh, of the yes, yeah, so some of the, the the ones that were simple and unanimous. Right. We of course took care of two episodes ago, um, but yes, we have so the last of the contended episodes today. Right, right, and uh, and almost certainly we'll completely resolve them to everyone's satisfaction. Absolutely, oh, I'm sure. yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, these last these last three plus there's a conundrum are going to be interesting. I do have to say, though, I've been enjoying this process. I definitely feel more, um, uh, <clears throat> I don't know, sort of more satisfied with uh, having sort of talked through all of these together and, and, uh, and you know, mm -hmm. gotten feedback from everybody. I feel, uh, you know, more, more, more unified in our responses here. Yes. 
I'm sure we'll be doing some kind of polling in the film film yeah, thing. Yeah, I'm sure we will. You know, especially when it comes to deciding, you know, if we're going to adapt in direction A or direction B or direction right. C. Yeah. Let people vote. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, so... Uh, so, Trish, so shall I share my screen? You want me to go ahead and... Okay, go ahead. So yeah, let's at, look at the first one. We're at number 11 i got to find my cursor. You know Where's that you can, uh, you can, in the, they, they updated the system now, so you can just share PowerPoint and select the, the, the program oh. instead of the whole screen. Well, here I am. Who knew? Yeah, it's kind of like, slick. Apparently Corey's. There we go. I'll learn that for, for some film. Okay. You should right. see it now, right? Yeah, Number do. 11. How does the battle between the goblins and the three allied peoples begin? This is a very wordy one, so I must warn you that the poll is much abbreviated answers. A, the allies are about to fight or are fighting when Gandalf stops them, warning that goblins have arrived. Book answer. B, the allies are about to fight or are fighting and are stopped by someone other than Gandalf. C, the allies are about to fight, but they hear or see the arriving orc army before they start. D, the allies start fighting and the orcs attack in the middle of their fight. Or E, there is never an imminent threat of battle between the three future allies. There's no we for, man, you know once again we we forgot to include the obviously correct answer. Um, the Earth is disturbed by giant wereworms. Yes, <laughs> yes, that was an incredible oversight. I feel really stupid in retrospect. I you know and we talked about that and we decided not to include it. I mean really. Yeah, yeah, it seemed so unlikely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I'd say E is not on the table. Correct. No, there is an there's clearly an imminent threat of battle. Yes. So we got, we got rid of that one. And you yeah. know what? I can't remember. Does Gan- I know Gandalf rides in, but he doesn't necessarily stop. Does no, he, stop them? he doesn't escape? pop up to stop them, certainly. like it. And though, help he me to remember, to. too. I, so Dan comes down on his ridiculous pig, and... Yes. Uh, and one might argue the whole they're about to fight begins even before that, right? The elves parlay uh, surround the mountain and um, uh, do their parlay with Thorin and all that kind of stuff. Right. I, I, mean, I, have, a, I have a feeling C might be the right answer. Yeah, I, I, I confess I don't see – this doesn't seem that controversial to me. I'm trying to remember what the controversy was. I agree. I was thinking the same thing, Trish, when you were reading them aloud. Uh, I was thinking, C does seem pretty clearly the answer, because they... <laughs> Maybe because we just didn't want that to be the right answer, so we made Dear... it into controversy. All right, live live listeners, stir up some controversy. Yeah. This, this, is, this, is, this, is, this is where we do the that thing where we say, what were we thinking f- like five weeks ago when we said, <laughs> when we didn't just answer this? At that point, there had to have been a reason that we said that. Um, uh, yeah, why? Were, what? What were we? I don't even think we even discussed this one. I think we got to this one and said, "Oh, well, we need to wait on this one." Yeah, maybe we did. Okay. Should we just go ahead and launch the poll? Is anybody? Uh, is anybody um, disagreeing with this in the chat? What did happen to my question? Because they they do see the army before they start. I mean, mm-hmm. in the book. There are actually shots fired. Um, you know, there are arrows loosed from elf at dwarf, presumably. Um, mm-hmm. And the right. armies are charging towards each other, and then Gandalf pops up between them and says, "Stop!" Right. Um, and we got as far as uh, 
you know, Dan and Thranduil, like, threatening each other. Um, but we didn't... No one actually charged, right? Because when the orcs came, when the wereworms come up and the orcs start coming, the dwarves immediately advance and set up their phalanx in front of the elves um, in that move, which really, all things considered, I think annoys me more than anything else in the entire movie. Um, I mean, there are other things I object to more. Which, the phalanx or the fact that the elves leap over top of them? Both of them. Both, both, just like the complete and utter idiocy, tactical idiocy of both dwarves and elves involved in that thing. It just, I, and then that's it's probably just, that's just me. Uh, but, um, no, it's not. But, I mean, no, it's not me that it's idiocy. Like, I, I, I'm quite sure that it's objectively idiocy, but it's probably just me that it annoys me more than anything no, that's else what in the I film. Meant. It's not just you, because you infected the rest of it. <laughs> oh, right, right. right. Yeah, yeah. The whole, like, let's leave the high ground and, and yeah, whatever, yeah. whatever. I mean, anyway, okay, it's fine. I really, didn't really thought too carefully about it until you said something on this show, and then it... Oh, and we have somebody sub- voting for A. And then subsequent viewings, it bothered me a lot. Right. Uh, that person's just being contrary. <laughs> is Gandalf there? Where is Gandalf Dur- during the that final confrontation? He's there, right? He's when they bring the Arkenstone. He's, Dale? he's he's got to be there. He's got to be with them, doesn't he? Yeah, he's watched it sixteen times. Where's Gandalf when they start to? Fight I'm sure he's there. The heck is he right at that moment? But I don't think he plays a prominent. Role yeah, at that he point. He plays no role, that's for sure. When there, when when Thorin is going to throw Bilbo down, Gandalf is there. Um, yeah. Uh, now somebody is voting for D. I assume contending that they actually did start fighting. In other words, arrows were loosed at dwarves. Right. They the orcs weren't. attack in the middle of their fight. But but that person is factually incorrect. I think that's incorrect though, because the the especially in the film. You know, they make a really huge deal out of the, um, you know, the precision military Stale formation made. of the of the oh, elves, yeah. you know. Right. Um, so it's not right. like one or two stray arrows from the elves are going to go flying up towards the dwarves. I mean, like, they would have either let loose a, you know, withering blast of arrows or not against the dwarves. Um, and I definitely don't think that happens. Yeah, exactly, Timothy, they're just exchanging insults. That's what I recall, too. Right, um, right. And I do think... Yo mama. They're doing yo mamas, right? Yeah, yeah they're, they're still at that stage. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, no, so by the allies start fighting, that means they start fighting with each other. Um, and the goblins... Right. Are, I mean, when we, when we set this riddle, the, 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 the concept of the riddle was basically sort of two we questions. Saw- how? We, we saw footage in the we saw footage in the trailer, which we assumed was doctored, but we saw footage in the trailer of that implied dwarves running at elves, and thought, "Huh, maybe and they'll actually elves shooting at dwarves." Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the the trailer certainly, right. but but of course the, we formulated this this riddle even before the trailers, and the idea was basically there were basically two questions underlying this riddle. One was how far are they going to go? in right. the Battle of Three Armies direction. You know, how, how bitter right. are they going to make the conflict before they bring in the orcs and unite people? And by what mechanism are they going to unite people, basically? And the answer to this, to the first question is to the insult stage, basically. They didn't actually start fighting. 
Um, that was one possibility, and I think I might have even voted for that. Didn't I vote D on this one? I might have done. Um, I can't remember. Um, but uh, but anyway, uh, the, but but then the second question: How are they going to? to make that shift happen in the book, of course, it's just, you know, Gandalf pops up and he makes his speech and it's easy enough to, to do that kind of thing in a book. It's exactly the kind of, it's, you know, it's one of those kinds of things anyway, that works really well in, you know, on, in print, but it doesn't work very well, um, on, uh, on, on screen. Right. I mean, like just to, 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 to read the passage here, um, is, uh, Okay, so they're, they're, they're springing forward to attack, bows twanged and arrows whistled, battle was about to be joined, and then suddenly there's a darkness, the black cloud comes over, and it's like a cloud of bats. Um, so, you know, it's, it, it looks like a, a cloud of birds, but of course it turns out not to be birds. So dense that no light could be seen between their wings. Halt! cried Gandalf, who appeared suddenly, and stood alone, with arms uplifted between the advancing dwarves and the ranks awaiting them. Halt! he called in a voice like thunder, and his staff blazed forth with a flash like the the lightning. Dread has come upon you all. Alas, it has come more swiftly than I guessed. Okay, that that works really great in the book, but if you tried to depict it exactly like that, I think it would, I mean, it would be, it, there's a good chance it would look really campy, um, you know, to have mm-hmm. Gandalf standing in the middle and, like, telling them both this. Even, even just the the sort of the practical matters of like how does he make his voice heard and everything it, it would it, you know so so the question was basically how close are they going to stick to that are they going to you know so the 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 book answer of course is they're going to stick exactly like that b is they're going to do the same kind of thing but they're going to give that role to somebody other than gandalf um c and d what unites c and d is the idea that nobody does that there is no figure who jumps up in the middle and says, everybody stop, the goblins are coming. Instead, just the goblins just come, and they see the goblins and are like, oh crap, it's goblins, let's fight them instead. Um, and then the difference between C and D is, are they fighting or not when the goblins happen? You know, maybe they're already fighting, maybe they're not fighting yet. Um, so it does seem to me that there isn't real, you know, the, so the answer to that question, does anybody do, does anybody play that role of intervening? You know, I am the one who am intervening and keeping these armies apart. That doesn't seem, um, that doesn't seem to have happened really. You know, they did seem nope. to opt out of that and everybody is just surprised by the wereworms, you know, including all of us, of course. Um, and, uh, uh, and then they just, respond so um so yeah yeah yana the the um d is supposed to be that the fight is physically interrupted right yes the fight already in progress like we would have had to see elves and dwarves already hacking at each other and then the goblins attack um and and the the goblins and yeah elves fighting, have to yeah, turn fighting from doesn't that. mean they're just insulting each other right yeah they're actually fighting with each other um yeah yeah so we only have 50 percent of the vote guys and we're going to go to eight minutes we're coming up on almost eight minutes so right well of course i was like it. filibustering for half of that but you know that's okay, <laughs> well, that's people, okay. and and people maybe people held off because um uh because the, you know history has shown that cory typically can sway people so well and i just i, I like there, there's some people like timothy is questioning much, whether much any of our chagrin at the end of the right exactly <laughs> Exactly, um, but but Tim C is the answer that's there. Um, 
they hear the goblins and stop. Like, they're not fighting yet. Nobody pops up in between them and says, hey, stop, the goblins are coming. And they, but they, instead, they're just, they're about to fight and they haven't fought yet. And they see, and all of a sudden, you know, wereworms and like they see the goblins charging out and attacking them. So they turn and fight. And then there's, and, and the question of how are they going to handle that moment of, what turns them, right? They're, they're in animosity against each other, and there's this question of, like, how are they going to handle this, right? Are they going to unite and turn and face the goblins together? And the the moment where that is answered in the film, it seems to me, is that ridiculous, that tactically ridiculous moment when the elves jump over the heads of the perfectly decent mm-hmm. dwarven mm-hmm. phalanx that's in place. Um, that's the moment where it becomes clear, okay, the elves and dwarves are going to fight together. Incompetently, is, but they're like- going to fight together. That's the same thing as me charging ahead of you in Lotro. Right? <laughs> exactly. Got your shield in place. It's, you're ready to, hold, and then yeah. I jump over you to get killed because I am an archer and should not be that exactly. close to the enemy. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Let your tanks be in the front. I mean, seriously, how hard is that? Um, uh, now, uh, uh, Tobias wants to say you could argue for B if you say the person who, other than Gandalf who stops them is Azog. Um, which is true, <laughs> you know. That's that's true enough, I guess. Um, uh, but it's not like he's exactly playing the role of 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 like deliberate unifier in that way, um, <laughs> precisely. Um, it's not like he's exactly coming in to tell them to uh, um, uh, to stop fighting. Um, okay, so I've let it go to 10 minutes now. We've got 65% of the vote. I think we should close and move on. What do you think? Okay. Yep. All right. I have to admit, I don't understand the full rationale of many of the other votes, but yeah. I think they're trolling us. Yeah, they just want us to talk longer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, Yana's saying it seems like it might be the letter, but not the spirit of the riddle. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't think so. I mean, I think that that was the spirit of the riddle. Like, are you know, are they going to be fighting or not fighting? And is somebody going to stop them? In a sense, this is almost like one of our old-fashioned quadrant riddles, right? Where we're asking the two questions, and, and, and um, you know, we didn't phrase it that way, but it kind of is that, you know, is, is, are, are, is somebody going to intervene between them as they charge to stop them fighting or not? And if not, are they going to be fighting or not fighting when the goblins break upon them? And the answer is C, not fighting. When the, you know nobody intercedes and they're not fighting when the goblins break in on them and we just put in E in case the whole thing went in a completely different direction um, and none of those scenarios even arose, mm-hmm. um, which didn't happen. So, um, so yeah, yep. Yeah, I think we were just kind of wimping out when we uh, 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 when we were um, yeah. Maybe we were overwhelmed this one with over. all the riddles we were going through. Okay, yeah. moving on. Shall we do we? have this a. We, we this do have a tougher one. If 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 people want further to appeal, um, uh, Sharon Hoff did send a YouTube clip of this, so we could actually look at it. Um, but I don't think it's really necessary. 
No. Okay. Now we have number 14. Okay. Dave, why don't you read number 14 as soon as you can see it on your screen? All right. What is the attitude... This is going to be a fun one. I know. <laughs> what is the attitude about the future in the Erebor region after the battle? They think that peace is here to stay. Book answer. Everyone believes it is the beginning of times of war and they need to prepare. C. They recognize the possibility of war but are not making active preparations. D. There is a strong division of opinion. E. None of the above. F. That was all left on the cutting room floor. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, that's part of none of the above. It's got to be part yeah. of E, right? Okay. It's got to be E. I mean, I can't believe they didn't have any kind of wrap-up of this, but... Yes. Um, it is um, telling, I think, that it didn't occur to any of us, even briefly, that um, there being no wrap-up of any kind, no closure... Uh, uh, of uh, uh, even of the most remote kind to, you know, the mountain and dale and the Erebor region after the battle, that never occurred to any of us. That we would go straight from, <laughs> straight from the battlefield to Bilbo's quiet departure, in which we don't even see Thranduil or Bard or, uh, you know, any and, and and in which. It's not even said on screen who becomes king under the mountain or anything. That never occurred to any of us. Uh, and I almost feel like, according to the spirit of the riddle, that almost seems presumptively to suggest E <laughs> has to be the answer, right? Um because, I mean, the spirit of the trying to, you know, what, what I always want to do when we go through and trying to figure out exactly what is the correct answer, we've got to go through and, and, and sort of see what is, the, what is the letter in the spirit of the law here, right? What is this riddle about? And this riddle specifically is about the peoples in Erebor. Right. You know, not Elrond, not Galadriel. Right, exactly. Uh, not Gandalf. Right. It's, ex it's explicitly, right. explicitly, uh, well, okay, no, not explicitly, because it doesn't say, but, but firmly <laughs> excluding the White Council perspective. Um, and right. really what we were thinking here primarily, uh, <laughs> you know, naive fools that we were, we were assuming that not only um, were they not going to leave us with no closure whatsoever in the Erebor <laughs> region, but that also... Their their choice of establish of how they establish closure in closure in the in the Erebor region would be a logical place at which to suggest the link between um, yep between the Hobbit films and the Lord of the Rings films right right right, um, right. which oh wait right. that never really happened either did it um, <laughs> but anyway. Uh, Oh man! So so again, okay, so so that that was the that was the thinking behind that was like why we asked the riddle basically. So our question was, assuming that they're going to give us some kind of closure for the story of Erebor, which right. has been the focal point of the entire films, and assuming that they're going to be interested in giving us some kind of connection, some kind of way of understanding how this large story that since they chose to go back and say, let's tell the whole Hobbit story from the point of view of the post-Lord of the Rings world, right? You know, as, as 
a, a major chapter in this larger story, which culminates in The Lord of the Rings. Since we're going to tell the story that way, we should probably show how these pieces fit together, right? We should probably right. show how this leads to The War of the Rings 60 years later and everything. Mm-hmm. So... Those were the assumptions. We were assuming since those things are obviously going to happen, how are they going to do it, right? Yes. Uh, Silly us. Silly us. Silly us! Well. This is where where we should cue the, you know, like the, did did, did either of you guys watch, um, um, uh, shoot, uh, Price is Right? Right. Yeah. You caught an episode or two. This is where you cue that, that music that they play on Price is Right whenever they lose. Right. Exactly. You know, yeah. With the with the um, the um, uh, like the not the wah, wah. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, I, I that is it is so shocking that they did that. I, I actually think if we have time, this might be a, a nice um, sort of wrap up top topic to revisit. Um, the the sort of the ambiguity of the of the ending and the entire project, especially sort of the interaction between the ending and the project. The the idea that the project was was clearly set up from the beginning to be we're going to adapt The Hobbit into the mode of the films and turn it into a Lord of the Rings prequel, and then the fact that at the ending, at the end of the, the trilogy, they really just dropped the ball on that and said, uh, no, no, we're going back to The Hobbit. Right. Exactly. Well, and, we talked and, about it a little bit, but yeah. And this is, you know, something that I've encountered just recently. Um, I've recountered what seems to me a real resurgence of the um, of the the narrative, you know, sort of the the response narrative that says, "Oh, the Hobbit movies are really dissatisfying, primarily because of like the Hollywood money grab of shifting it from two films to three films." Like it's, mm-hmm. that 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 of course was huge for a long time, right after it started, but that had died down quite a bit. Um, and and I, I never I mean as as listeners know I've never been hugely sympathetic to it because and there's no question that there's lots of th- now there was a question as to how it would affect the editing you know trying to shift in midstream since they had already planned so much and now had to change their plans and you know to what extent would we still be able to see the you know the cracks and joints there and things that they were splicing back in that was always a question you know how 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 harmonious would the story be um, how well would they would they um, carry off that transition was always a question. But basically, again, the thing that I keep hearing from, you know, when, recently, and this has happened a f- several times, when people have asked me, so what, do you, what did you think of the third Hobbit movie? And I, the answer I always give is, well, I was disappointed. Um, and I like that answer because it doesn't, I, I, I want to make it clear that I don't just hate it, right? I don't just, uh, it's not that I'm like anti the Hobbit films and I'm just going to start scoffing at Peter Jackson. I'm disappointed, which means I had hopes for it, but those hopes were not met, you know? Um, so, uh, so anyway, I, I was, um, I was, uh, that, that's always how I answer. Anyway, but when I give that recently, several people have been like, oh yes, it was disappointing. Well, it's really too bad that they decided to shift to three films because they, they just ended up putting so much, you know, they really stretched it out and put so much fluff in there. And I usually don't get into arguments about it because it's not really worth it. But I disagree with that reading entirely. That is to say, mm-hmm. I do not think that the problem of these films is that there is fluff inserted. Um, you know, that like, if you know, as if you could just go through and cut out the fluff and arrive at a good film. Like, it's 
their conception of the films fundamentally changes. If 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 the question if 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 the situation actually were they had a really good, really well tied together and satisfying two films planned, and then they added in a bunch of stuff, the ending wouldn't suck. Because the ending would have been part of the good ending, right? You could say that things didn't really, you know, not everything fit in together. But we're not talking about, like, stuff in the middle that doesn't jive with what happened at the beginning and the end. We're talking about the end completely abandoning almost everything that was started at the beginning of the film. Yep. Not quite everything. You know, the one thing that I like about the ending is that we do get that return to Bag End. And, and I, you know, as I said before, I love the scene of Bilbo walking around the now deserted and, uh, you know, uh, like the, you know, the Bag End with tumbleweeds rolling around in it at the end. And, you know, comparing that with Bilbo walking around Bag End at the beginning when he's thinking about leaving. Like that, but there are very few, I mean, it's one of the very few strands that they really pick up. And, and tie together at the end of that film. And that's, that by definition, like that cannot be because they inserted fluff in the middle. There's just, there isn't substance at the end. Um, and that's not, be, so, so anyway, so that's why I really, I really disagree um, uh, with, um, uh, with that. Uh, so anyway, yeah, yeah. <sighs> Karita says she feels like Bilbo is the only one who gets a proper ending, and I agree. But I guess, but see, Dave, that comes back to what you were saying about, mm-hmm. you know, how in the end they sort of they seemed almost to abandon the whole plan and just be like, do you think they were caving to pressure? You know, do you think they got sick of hearing people saying, you know, maybe in editing they actually shifted that focus, and and were sick of people saying like, oh, it's not the Hobbit. Like everyone in, after the desolation of Smaug in particular were being like, why did they even call it the Hobbit? Like Bilbo was barely in it, right? Remember, what lots of people were saying that. Do you think that maybe they were responding to that? and therefore wanted to make them like, okay, what people want, it's a Bilbo-focused uh, story, so let's give them a, 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 a thoroughly Bilbo-centric ending. King Under the Mountain? Who cares? Not relevant. Uh, what happens to Bard? Doesn't matter, right? Uh, you know, it's any uh, tying up of the uh, White Council plot? Um, we don't need it. Uh, indications of how we get from here to the Lord of the Rings? 60 years from now, uh, need to know basis, right? Instead, let's just do Bilbo, and that's it, because all people want is The Hobbit after all. And I mean, it, I don't know if I buy that either, but... Um, no, no. And, and of course, uh, 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 acknowledging that we are, of course, engaging in crit fic and, yeah. and even talking about this question, um, I, don't, I don't really think that's what's... I, I, I'd be very surprised if that was the case. I mean, by the end, like... what? It's not like it's not like by changing the ending like that they're going to convince anyone. It's not like there were people who were who were sitting in the theater, breathing a sigh of relief. Oh, thank God they went back to the true spirit of the Hobbit. Those people weren't at the film. <laughs> right. Anyone who would have done that, and wouldn't first of all weren't at the film, and second of all, we're still we're probably still frothing at the mouth over something that happened earlier in the film. Right. As uh, as 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 Lynn Monroe just said. Um, if they were really paying attention to what the book fans wanted, they wouldn't have uh, done to Galadriel what they did to Galadriel. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's true. I, I, I love the I, way Mike Drab described her as hulking out. Hulking out, yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Hulking out. If I'm going to try to project myself into their minds and, and, and speculate about what they're thinking, I just would guess that they were... That, that 
they were looking and saying, well, should we cut out this three minutes of footage at the Battle of Dol Guldur with the awesome, you know, ring raids zapping around and teleporting and, and you know, Elrond fighting and stuff? Or should we add this really pedantic th- stuff at the end where we explain all the, the, political, the political situation in the Erebor region and who's king under the mountain? And they decided... Yeah, I don't think people really care about that. If anything, I would say, I would say, if if anything, if they were sensitive to anything, it was the the response to the ending of the Lord of the Rings from from you know um, non book fans who said, God, it took this film twenty minutes to end. And they're probably like, Yeah, you know what? Like the the diehard fans who love the books, we'll just put it in the extended edition for them, uh, and uh, uh, and 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 they'll forgive us and enjoy it there. Let's just end this film as fast as we can and get people out of the theaters. Because <laughs> right? that's always the be- that's always that's always the best goal. That's like a sure avenue to success, right? If you go into the film saying, right. "Let's just get people to hang out get in the theater as soon as possible." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, now, and you know, and interesting thinking about the crit fit, the crit fix stuff. You know, it's, in my mind, the reason to talk about this is actually not just to indulge in further crit fix, but to, you know, really to respond to it because it's the thing. You know, the reason that I, you know, that I emphasized, you know, what what Lewis is talking about when he's describing the thing that I named crit fix, and the reason that I went back to Lewis's essay and you know, was thinking about that, and the reason that I brought that out to apply to the Peter Jackson films, the insidious thing about Critfic is that it stands in the place of analysis of the film. And that is what I see happening when people talk about the shift from two films to three films and fluff. You know, mm-hmm. people, it, it, the basically there's this like i have the sense that the films weren't very good i have a theory which explains why the films weren't very good because they shifted from two films to three films and added a bunch of extra crap adding a bunch of ex- if one if one did that sloppily and just added a bunch of extra crap it would make the films worse therefore i'm going to theorize that that's why the films are worse because it did that and what it does is it diverts the attention of the person who's speaking. It diverts the attention away from actually thinking carefully about the films. And again, I don't think that, and my point in addressing it is that I don't think that the, that argument stands up to the text, Um, you know, stands up to these films themselves. I do not think that, and again, I I know like people are going to keep bringing up the fan edit and like, I know someday I should go and watch it. And I still haven't had time to do that. Um, But, I really don't think that you could make these... If if it were true that what made these films bad was fluff that was added in to pad it out to three films, then in theory, you should be able to go through and cut that, that fluff out and make it into a good two films. And mm-hmm. I defy anybody to do right. that. The ending is too uns. There are too many things that simply it's because it's not about. In my mind, it's not about the extra stuff that's there. It's about the stuff that isn't there. It's not that it's too long. It's that it's too short. That's the problem with it. And again, I'm not saying oh these films really. If if only they'd expanded to five films, it would have been better. <laughs> I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that like it, it's it's you can't explain it as simply extraneous material added has 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 um, has created the problem. Um, 
and so so again, so that's why I I I I I, I object to that because it, and and it's a really easy narrative to do. Again, that's the other thing about Critfic is that it's really easy to do. And what's more, you say it sounds really sophisticated, right? I mean, it's a way to come up with with an interpretation which sounds really kind of insightful. Um, but actually, is 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 really empty. It, it doesn't actually engage with 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 the the thing at all. Um, this is yep. why uh, this is why I am like, as a literature professor, pro- professor like you know, professionally opposed to critfic because it is exactly the kind of sloppy interpretive thinking that uh, yeah. um, that is is really really destructive when you're trying to actually understand uh, a text. Um, and of course, this leads us back to the extended edition. Well, okay, so the extended edition where they stop cutting things out, you know, and maybe like, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping, I am genuinely hoping that the extended edition is better. You know, that I like the, the extended edition far more than I like the theatrical edition. I could easily imagine myself liking the extended edition much better than I like mm-hmm. the theatrical edition. It won't change my mind about how much of a failure the theatrical edition was um, and how foolish uh, and even almost like somewhere between foolish and actually dishonest it is uh, for them to approach the extended edition that way. Um, but uh, but anyway, I um, uh, I'll co- actually I want to come back to that later on. I want to I want to I wanted to come back to that issue. But I, I won't keep ranting right now. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. All right. I'm done. I feel better. It's, we're, we're all good. Got it out of your system. Yeah. 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 I'm fine. That's the the, the whole like two film thing has been really. I, I I keep. I don't know. Maybe it's a coincidence that I keep running into that recently. But it's been. Uh, it's been. Uh, it's been I eating. I wonder what eating why, its way why, out here. I mean. You know, I wonder why that's coming back up. Do you, uh, it, it, actually, that's that's not. That, now that I think about it, I've heard other people say. Heard I've heard other people talk about it as well. And, and I think the, I think what uh, um, sort of my understanding is that people looking back on the trilogy have decided, you know, that there was a lot of dead time and really they shouldn't have bothered to make the films. Yeah, and I mean, I, <clears throat> I don't which, know, which is the complete opposite of what I feel. I, I'm like. They didn't fit everything in. Jesus. Right. Exactly. They didn't fit everything in. And it's not like, I mean, yes, there's like, sure, there are things that could be cut. I mean, like cut the stupid Legolas stunts. Um, yes, they could cut the battle down some, though not nearly as much as I think many people would suggest. Um, uh, they, you know, I, I, you know, like when I was talking with uh, with Mike Drought at Turbine uh, this past week, you know, he was saying like he hated all of the Lake Town stuff. He's like, I don't care about Lake Town, um, you know, like that. So like he was like every minute they spent on, you know, not just Alfred, but like on on like the Lake Town people in general, you know, they really could have, you know, and I don't agree with him there. I mean, I think it would be. Um, Including the story of Bard and everything seems to me good. I like that idea of of including the story of Bard and 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 especially I like the way that the 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 story of the refugees from Lake Town is there to kind of bookend the story of the refugees from Erebor at the beginning of the film. That's really nice, you know. I like that, but um, but but it'd be it would have been nice to see some. You know, resolution of that story, whatever. Um, one last uh, comment here, Steve Holly had uh, said, uh, you know, talking about the 
you know, there being no link between these films and the Lord of the Rings, he's like, he says, come on now, you got Legolas pointed towards Strider. There's your link to the future. <laughs> Absolutely. You're completely correct, Steve. If I said there's no link to the Lord of the Rings films, I, I must, I agree, absolutely take it back. We do have a... Uh, so the one question that is answered about how the Hobbit story relates to the Lord of the Rings story is... But how do Legolas and Aragorn become friends, right? So, um, and the one moment in the Fellowship of the Ring when Aragorn's, when Legolas pops up in the Council of Elrond and says to Boromir, he is Aragorn, son of Arathorn, you owe him his, your, your allegiance, um, is explained, right? Okay, so that one moment now has a satisfying backstory, but that's it. That's the only one in the Fellowship of the Ring <laughs> that has a satisfying connection. Um, so, so yeah, so okay, yeah, no, I'll give, I'll give full credit for the, so goodness. At least Legolas's story has uh, has a neat bow on it. That was that was good. Um, anyway, okay, all right. I should probably let us move on. All right. <laughs> We've oh. now had two. Our first two were really easy. Turns out, both of them. That's true. Yeah. What are we doing? Yeah, exactly. Why are we here? <laughs> yeah, oh, don't worry. I think our last one could make yeah. up oh, thank the rest God. of the time. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, no, I I, no, actually, episode... the last one and the conundrum. We have. Oh, a, okay. We have a conundrum. Yes. yes. This episode kind of won't be complete so. without a shouting match. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think this one we're definitely going to have a division with. Yeah, so as, as Trisha sharing her screen, Brian Biggs was just uh, adding. He said he found some. He found the scene of the refugees on the shore of the lake the most emotionally resonant moment of the films, which is too bad because it shows that the potential was there for other scenes to register like that, and they just whiffed. Yeah, um, yeah, and even even the way they brought that through. And this is where I agree with the Alfred haters out there. Um, I don't hate Alfred nearly as much as many people do. I think that that a really interesting function for this telling of that particular story could have been, could have been, um, uh, uh, you know, executed through Alfred. Um, but, but I agree that thinking about like sort of them whiffing on the overall sort of emotional impact that they did have to some extent and could have had, um, uh, it was, it was the way that they executed that was really a distraction from that rather than adding to it. There was something that could have been added through Alfred, but they ended up just kind of replacing instead of adding. But anyway, okay. Oh, here we go. Share this, did I? Sorry. Oop, where'd it go? Did I share it? Uh, did I share it? Came back here. We got a. Oh, on. you already hit it. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. Th- I thought that was my bad. Okay. Here we go. So here's the one I think we may have a little bit of a. All right. Fisticuffs over. What will Bilbo's Go ahead, relationship? Corey, it's your turn. Yeah. Okay. What will Bilbo's relationship with the ring look like at the end of movie three, not including the frame? He keeps it with him and regards it as a useful trinket. He keeps it with him, but is distrustful of it. He stores it away, but doesn't use it. He considers it a souvenir and keeps it on his mantle. Uh, that's the rank and bass answer. That's the rank and bass answer. <laughs> and uh, none of the above. Okay. So including between A and B, including the, okay. So so let's 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 go through the the sort of the spirit of the law here. Okay, so. Um, in particular, the the motivation for this question was how are they going to handle, especially as they seem to have some kind of 
indication of the ring's influence on him or something over the course of, you know, that Bilbo seemed to be aware of some kind of negative thing associated with the ring. It was not just a, a, a nice, useful magic item um, in the films as, as, as it was depicted. So how are they going to handle that? Because we've got a 60-year gap, right? We've got, a, the, you know, this, 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 this hobbit has to keep this ring for 60 years after this, and how are we going to get him, in particular, how are we going to get him into the place where we saw him being in the beginning of the Fellowship of the Ring films. So, um, book A, of course, as always, is the book answer. Um, he keeps it with him and regards it as a useful trinket. That is, he doesn't think anything of it. He doesn't think that the ring is a big deal. It's just one of the several useful magical things. He came home from his adventures with a magic ring, a magic sword, and a shiny coat of mail. Um, and it's one of those things, right? It's one of those relics. B, he keeps it with him, but is distrustful of it. Okay, so he keeps... So the difference, So then C, he stores it away. So B and the difference between... So the, the line between A and B is that he either he's uncomfortable with it or he's not uncomfortable with it. A means he's not uncomfortable with it. B means he... Um, uh, you know, B and C mean he is uncomfortable with it. Like there, there is uneasiness in Bilbo's mind about the ring. And so then the question is, okay, if, if he's uneasy about it, does, that, does he keep it with him despite the fact that he's uneasy about it? Or does his uneasiness lead him actually to put it away from him in some sense? Does he, does he, mm-hmm. does he you know, like seal it in a paper envelope, for instance, mm-hmm. um, and put it away? Um, D was a little bit of a throwaway because we were making jokes yeah. about the Rankin-Bass film, basically. Um, <laughs> uh and then E is something different entirely. So, fundament, so the fundamental question, it seems to me, that we have to answer is, do we think that Bilbo is uneasy about the ring at the end of the third film? And I say he is not. And okay. here's why. Okay. We, we do see him be uneasy about it in the course of the movie. Okay? I mean, Martin Freeman did just an awesome job of that. But by the time he talks to Gandalf at the, toward the end of the movie, he not only lies to Gandalf, but very, but it's a lie that's very much different from the lie he tells Gandalf earlier, you know, when he tries to tell him, he starts to tell yeah, him, yeah, yeah. I found something. Yeah, I, found the, I found my courage. It's a yeah. lifely, it's a, he doesn't, there's no, there's no twinge of conscience that passes Freeman's face. And I've come to trust Martin Freeman's face. Okay. Um, at all. And then later, you know, when he, we switch, you know, we're making that switch from past to present. Uh, he would, actually, I don't even think we see Freeman. Do we see Freeman take the ring out or is it home we see take the ring out? I forget which one, but Bilbo takes the ring out of his vest pocket. He's not looking at it with horror. He's not looking at it with concern. He's, it's in his pocket. And even if we fast forward to Fellowship of the Ring, Bilbo is not, you know, it's not like, oh, I must divest myself of this ring. It's a, I'm going to leave this behind for Frodo, you know, that obviously Gandalf's been, you know, kind of encouraging that. But it's not like, there is no, there's no horror left that's gone. It's almost like the ring, in my mind, the ring has had its way with him and he's basically looking at it as a useful trinket. That's, I mean, that's how, so, that's so, what so I So basically, saw. you think that uh, the Bilbo's ring uh, uneasiness, which seemed to be growing in the second film, has just basically gone into remission at the end of the third film. Yeah, at the end of the film. Now, yeah. again, 
you know, we talked about how Jackson did, left things open. He didn't make a very good transition between, oh, my God, and, oh, okay, you know, in, in, in Bilbo's attitude. But I, when I, he had that conversation with Gandalf at the end, it's like he lied with no twinge of conscience whatsoever. Oh, lost it. Sorry. Right. You know, didn't even, didn't even register on the lie meter. And, um, and then, you know, when we see Bilbo looking at it 60 years later, it's not with, you know, it's more with fondness than with anything else. Right. Right. Um, yeah. Um, Bilbo in the Fellowship of the Ring is clearly in a book answer position, right? Right. Ian Holmes right. Bilbo is. I mean, and we can see this even in the you know the way that he, the way that he flips the ring, like a coin right. with his thumb, right, and catches it and puts it in his pocket in the Fellowship of the Ring film. Um, you know, shows that he 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 doesn't think it's a big deal. Um. Uh, so t- uh, Timothy was asking, and we say not not including the frame. Yes, that means in home is right out. <laughs> That's it's this is a this is a Martin Freeman only question, um, right? So so yes, like the expression on Ian Holmes' face as he puts the ring into his you know waistcoat pocket at the very end, gang, can't be taken into is, account. Is uh, jury must must disregard that. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. But I still stand by it. I still stand by it on the basis of of Freeman's kind of nonchalance about just basically lying to right. hand off about it. Right. Exactly. Um, and Kristen uh, Houck says, of course, he can't have put it away permanently because the Bilbo of the Lord of the Rings movies obviously used it frequently. Yes, Kristen, but it really that was kind of what, one of the things that motivated the riddle was Especially from the end of the desolation of from the from the vantage point of the end of the desolation of Smaug, it was a really pressing question: How are they going to join this up to the Bilbo that we see in the Lord of the Rings movies? Because the trajectory that Martin Freeman appeared to be on—I mean, remember Martin Freeman right after the like fight with that ground crab yeah. thing, right? Yeah. When he's all like, when he loses the ring and then finds it again and fights the thing and it says, you know, mine, and sits down and takes it and then looks like he's about to throw up. I, I mean, it's really hard to to imagine that like he's going to be all like. Hey! Oh, the ring—it's not a big deal. Like I have a magic ring, isn't that cool? Um, so the trajectory that he seemed to be on at the end of film two, look, and so so Kristen, exactly the question in our minds was: Are they really going to be able to link these two up? Um, you know, are they are they going to be willing to accept, as they have in other cases, um, accept um, a uh, 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 an just a, a contradiction between them. And by, uh, by other cases, the, the one example that I'm thinking of off the top of my head is the relationship between Gandalf and Saruman. Um, when Gandalf goes to meet Saruman in Isengard in the Fellowship of the Ring film, there is none of that eye roll business that we got. You know, when he, when Saruman is there and he hears Saruman's voice and he's not facing him and he rolls his eyes and turns around with that really cheesy fake smile, right? The clear, the way in which Gandalf seems actively either to distrust or even to look down on Saruman in the Hobbit films um, is just not at all there. I mean, that's just, that's just discontinuous with the Fellowship of the Ring film. 
And I'm fine with that. I mean, it's one of the questions Dave and I asked way back at the very, very beginning. You know, how willing are they going to be to be discontinuous with, you know, how, how much are they going to try to twist things around to make sure that they fit with, um, with the Lord of the Rings films? And it didn't seem that they were willing to go to infinite lengths to twist things in order to do that. Um, so, See, I, I, yeah. I think this is where we're always going to agree to disagree on that particular scene in the movie, you know, the movie one where he rolls mm-hmm. his eyes. I did not see that as a mistrust of Saruman. I also didn't necessarily see it as a thinking better of. I saw it more like, damn, I've been caught by the principal. Right. You know, I've been caught by the head of our order is here and I'm, I'm trying to pull this con on Elrond and damn, you know, busted. I mean, that's kind of, and also, the looking down on would be like, oh my God, the windbag is here. You know, that was the only other thing. I didn't get a mistrust. I didn't necessarily even see there being a disconnect between the logic of him going to see, you know, uh, Saruman later. You know, yeah. so I may, I well, may see, think he's an old windbag, but he knows more about the ring than anybody else I go see him. I, I, so, I see that. I, I, and I've watched it I, several times since. Yeah. I, <laughs> I definitely can see, I mean, the caught by the principal thing does make sense. I agree that that does fit. The other element, though, that sways me, I think, I think that the scene that for me contextualizes that a little bit differently is the telepathic conversation between Gandalf and Galadriel while Saruman's talking. Right when Saruman's voice becomes this rah, 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 voice in the background, <laughs> and Galadriel and Gandalf are having the real conversation, right? Um, mm-hmm. And there's a way in which we ourselves are are cued to basically I mean, yes, like to see him as a windbag, but we're not just it talking would have been about fun if Saruman had, cu- had 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 like cut in telepathically and said, uh, "Excuse me, right? Do would you, you stop passing you notes in class?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That that would have been hilarious. Uh, uh, but but yeah, I mean, basically, it 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 seems to suggest that like he's just completely irrelevant to this. I mean, we as as viewers are are urged to tune him out. I mean, we literally tune out what he right. says in the middle of his speech, um, which is a right. pretty stupid speech to begin with. Like that's the speech, of course, about like Radagast's teeth being stained by mushrooms and other absurd things. Yes. But um, but anyway, so he's he's prattling on. So the way in which you get that sense of. Gandalf knows what's really going on. Galadriel knows what's really going on. Saruman neither knows nor particularly cares and is just really pretty much irrelevant and it's annoying that he's here um, and has nothing really to contribute to this discussion. Is the, That's like the general the general, the general general impression yeah, that that scene gives. That as you're talking about that, is it, it actually, now that I think about that, if I had not seen Fellowship of the Ring, I would have had this impression, you're right, of, of Saruman being sort of this guy, you know, Okay, we have to like put up with him, but he's like this old windbag. Yeah, like, like the hanger on. And, so on. <laughs> yeah. and then what a surprise to see him in the Fellowship of the Ring. Right. You know, what a surprise to see that amount of power and evilness in this guy. You know what I mean? I just was thinking about that. You know, if I had never seen Fellowship of the Ring before, that would have been kind of an interesting twist. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, that's a side note. Dave, right. Well, been... anyway, so back to I. Sorry about I took that off the rails with regard to that. Yeah, no, 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 no. That's no. all the way back in movie one. <laughs> um, uh, Dave, what are your thoughts about? You've been very quiet on this point so far. What are, What are your thoughts here? <sighs> yet another, yet another thing that got that that, as far as I can tell, got left on the uh, editing. Floor. Yes, um, I agree. I. That's that is true. It, it's I mean, really. I, I mean, we don't see it. 
Yeah, it's technically unanswered and 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 by by many measures unanswerable because they don't give us really anything. Like I really think the last relevant thing related to this is in the second film, right? Like there were there were hints there if you recall there was stuff in the trailer that we looked at like Bilbo taking a deep breath before putting the ring on that we were you know out of context we were looking at that and thinking ah look there's Bilbo being uncomfortable with the ring which I don't even remember where that occurred in the film but I'm pretty sure it was just him taking a deep breath before he ran into the middle of the battle to go warn Thorin that they were that right. there was a trap or whatever right and and they really just basically nothing in the film at all well I wonder I wonder if the intent was to show us that with each use it got easier for him to use because he used it after the spider deal he used it in the hall of the mountain king right he used it mm-hmm. in he didn't use it in like I think he used it in Smaug's lair and then he mm-hmm. uses it in the movie three like during the battle right yeah and I wonder if the intent was to try to make it look as if each time he uses it it gets easier for certainly him to not use. Clear, but if that no. was the intent it wasn't clear as far yeah. as that means not and even clear to Martin I, Freeman. I, I, it would let's seem. see. No, no. I, I think sort of. Yeah, <laughs> I think on principle. I think on principle, I feel compelled to pick either E. They just didn't show us anything. There's no way of knowing. Yeah, or fair, if fair. if E wasn't an option, I think we have to go with A. Like like I think I think if we go based on what we saw in the third film and 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 sort of, you know, with your analysis, Trish of. If we, if there's anything we can read into what we saw on screen, what we see is a trajectory of him using the ring increasingly when it suits him and practic, you know, and not not running into any problems. Now maybe in the middle of a battle he doesn't have time to sit and contemplate his feelings about the ring, but there doesn't seem to be anything other than film two, which sugge- stuff in film two which suggests he might be distrustful or wouldn't use it. Um, but but you know I. Th- Think, I think it's fair to argue that the stuff in film three overrides that, and what we see is him using the ring. I think, and I don't, and I think it's incorrect to um, to, to to project our feelings. Like it's not enough for us to know it's a dangerous ring and it's ominous. Right. But they didn't even give us, you know, they didn't even give us like we all like I fully expected a last shot of of Bilbo standing there, you know, uh, enjoying, um, you know, being home, and then uh, a, a pan over to the pan onto the ring with the ominous Lord of the Rings music coming into the background. Like, okay, maybe even if Bilbo doesn't know, you know, a reminder to us that, yeah, by the way, this is the evil ring. Don't forget that. Boy, that's true, that. you know, because actually anybody that doesn't know the story and just watches these three movies would really not get, I don't know that they would actually get how yes. seriously yeah. evil this Actually, movie. they would yes. be totally confused. Yes. By um, the second film, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, again, of course, we're we're all assuming so, that, like, given that the ring has some kind of negative influence, how is it going to be manifested, and to what extent is it going to be manifested? But you're right; if you didn't know that in advance, um, how mm-hmm. how would you even know how to interpret that? Yeah, yeah. There's no indication. So, so my my feeling is that. Probably the safest answer is is none of the above, and well, we just have no way of knowing. But um, if here's I was the argument: to pick something else. I think I'd have to pick. And, and this is where I agree with uh, I agree with Timothy Fisher in saying, and and Trisha, it, it's it's the rebuttal to one point in your argument. Um, maybe he looks smooth mm-hmm. when he's lying about it, but he does lie. 
why is he lying about it? If if he just views it as a trinket and it's mm-hmm. no big deal, he would just be like, yeah, see this cool magic ring I found? Yeah, here it is. Like I'm gonna go. Take it. Don't worry, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna do anything bad with it, right? But I got an awesome magic ring, so that's what I'm gonna do. Instead, he lies about it. The fact that he lies about it, he's trying to hide it from Gandalf. Um, and there's got to be a reason why he's trying to hide it from Gandalf. Why does he want Gandalf to believe? No, it doesn't, sp- but that doesn't speak mean of he's distrust of it. necessarily. Not distrust of the ring, but it does. Sig- I mean, it, this is again. Well, in the end, I don't. Maybe this is less of an argument for B than it's an argument for E. Um, but it doesn't seem that like he's just going back and thinking yeah. as little of it as he does in the book. Um, even sort of splitting the mm-hmm. book version no, right. from first edition to third edition of the book. Um, that is, of course, in the first edition of the book, the ring was a trinket, right? In no one's mind, including Tolkien's, um, you know, n- not in Gollum's point of view, not in Bilbo's point of view, not in Tolkien's point of view, was the ring a big deal, right? It just literally was a magic trinket. Um, mm-hmm. Bilbo still hides it from the dwarves initially because, but the, his only reason for doing that is mm-hmm. that you know, he, he wants to impress them, right? Um, you know, he wants to come across as a really great burglar, mm-hmm. and so he doesn't want them to know that he has a magic ring because it's like cheating, right? Um, it's like, uh, it's like uh, basically the ring is for, for, for Bilbo as burglar. It's like a performance-enhancing drug, right? Bilbo doesn't want his teammates to know that he's on PEDs when he's getting these great mm-hmm. burglar stats, so uh, he, he conceals the ring. Um, that seems to be his motivation in the first edition of the book for not telling everybody about it right away. Um, that now that motivation still is the primary mm-hmm. motivation in the in the published Hobbit that almost all of us have read. Um, you know the the revised Hobbit um, when the ring when the dark properties of the ring have been to a limited extent limited extent projected back into the story. But there's that extra motivation of. Like, I want to claim the ring for my very own, and I don't want to, to reveal it to other people. Um, and that does seem to be what's at play yeah. with Gandalf there in the final scene of the film. Um, we are seeing, it seems, a manifestation of the my precious viewpoint from Bilbo, right? Right. Right. But still, that doesn't spell distrust. Now, if, the, if this riddle the ring had affecting been, him. how yeah. will we see... Rigaduce change in Bilbo, then yes. the fact that he's lied to Gandalf would be key. But in his own mind, there is no, you know, we don't see that thing like we did with the spider. We don't see him having an issue with it. The question is, what's Bilbo's relationship with the ring at the end? Bilbo's relationship is, he's not distrustful of it. Now, maybe he doesn't necessarily regard it as useful training. I mean, you know, the other reason he may, in his mind, be lying to Gandalf is, Gandalf's more powerful than I am, I don't want this right. thing taken away from me, which is the my precious kind of, you know, tendency. Mm-hmm. The fact that an honest hobbit is being swayed to lie, that's the, you know, that is an issue. But that's not what's in this riddle. What's in this riddle is, how is Bilbo relating to it? Bilbo's yeah. definitely not distrustful. Now, I can see the none of the above answer, because I think Dave made a very good case for that, that no, I don't know that any of these, either A or B, is really... Yeah. Yeah. Jackson no, I, I agree. I mean, the, the question that this, you know. the, again, this was, a, this was a riddle that we came up with after the Desolation of Smaug, when the thing that we were most interested by in the Desolation of Smaug was not just the ring's influence on Bilbo, but Bilbo's own attitude towards the ring. You're right. 
Um, and that's right. so that's what the focal point exactly. of this. Mm-hmm. So I agree in that way. It's harder to see him being now. A bunch of people are voting for B, which is fine. But tell me, tell me why. Tell me why you're voting for B. Tell me what evidence you believe that there is in the film that at the end of the story he is distrustful of the ring. And Trish is making this distinction, I think, very clearly, and I think it's a very important one. It's not about is it influencing him. It's not about is it corrupting him. It's about is he distrustful of it. Does he worry? Is he does does he seem worried? Right. It, why do you think? What makes you think he is worried? Right. That right. the ring is having some negative impact on him, or that it's bad for him in some way, or something like that. Again, that's what we seem to be seeing in the Desolation of Smaug. I still think we see that in the Desolation of Smaug. Um, the uh, the an, an absence of that distrust at the end doesn't convince me that it wasn't there in the Desolation of Smaug, but um, but. Right. No, no. I, days, uh, you know. I, I think it is in the desolation of Smaug. I, I think. Yeah. I think Trish. Trish has a good point, which is there is a distinction between us observing that the ring is having some influence upon Bilbo and Bilbo being aware of it and right. responding negatively to it. And and I think the other thing I would say too. I, I um, uh, boy, I don't know why. Maybe it's just early in the morning, but I really can't remember anything about. <laughs> <the third laughs> <laughs> Like so, so people keep we keep pointing out, you know, oh, Bilbo lied to Gandalf. He really only explicitly lies when directly asked, you know, or you know, when he makes a statement, "I found something." Oh, what'd you find? And then he no, the lying is when he's, the main he says at the end that, that I lost recall it. where he lies in the final exchange it. at the borders of the Shire with Gandalf. Gandalf said, "What happened to it?" And he was like, "Well, no, he yeah. doesn't even do that." Uh-huh. Bilbo volunteers it, right? Gandalf says, I've been watching you, and then he's like, oh, uh, but you don't have to worry, yeah. I lost it. Actually, in the battle, lost it, don't know what happened to it. Um, huh. That's the uh, lie that, go, that we're talking about. Now, okay, so hang on, Can't remember more information from people. Um, yeah. just, uh, sorry, sorry, Trish, let me just follow up with the people who are, who are some people are answering me and, and trying to, to explain here. Gabrielle says, because we get ominous music and his cringe, his sort of cringing look at it, when? Where, where exactly does that happen? Like in Bag End, do, do you mean? Or are you thinking about him cringing like before he puts it on when he goes up to Ravenhill? Where exactly are you thinking there, Gabriel? I wanted to want to ask for for clarification there. Um, and uh, uh, okay, okay. Um, all right. So anyway, um, so, sorry, Trish. Go ahead. Yeah. Ready for me now? Okay. So I do think, and this is not, this doesn't have anything to do with the riddle, but I do think that this, it is interesting to see. I, and I do think it's a valid thing. To see from the spider there is no science. To the end of the movie where there's like no energy of all, you know, on it at all. It's just this thing he has in his pocket kind of thing. And the fact that he lies to Gandalf, I think, is a really interesting thing. I do think Jackson's trying to show us that the ring is, is exerting influence on him, you know, incrementally as the story moves on. I just don't think he did it very well. You know, I don't think he, I don't think he, you know, did a very good job of, of really demonstrating that clearly. Um, but I, I do think that was the intent, you know, to show this evolution right. in Bilbo based on his having the ring. Um, so, you know, right. I wish it had right. been done better, frankly. 
I mean, it would have been cool to see Bilbo actually flip the ring as a coin. Right. Martin Freeman Bilbo at the end of movie three. I mean, that would have right. been... Yeah, I mean, and the important... That would have been definitive. And again, the important thing to keep in mind is that this is the question... You know, again, the, the question, as, as we were saying before, is not Bilbo being distru- becoming distrustful like you know distrustful it's about him distrusting the ring it's about his attitude to the ring um uh right hang on i have right. a right i'm trying to get some i'm trying to uh, to gather some data here a couple of people are I'm, I'm i'm getting uh youtube links here um and i have one of bilbo walking around bag end here now i'm seeing if i can find the scene Yeah. Apparently the entire movie is up on YouTube at okay, this I've point. Got him, I'm, 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 just, I'm, I'm just reviewing this. I've got him looking at his handkerchief, his pocket handkerchief, and he's looking around. He's picking up a picture of his mom. Okay. So this is all, like, Bilbo's identity stuff. You know, him, like, I am Bilbo Baggins of Bag End, right? You know, I'm a Baggins of Bag End. This is clear. You know, he's steadying the picture of... Yeah, exactly. Right, he's got both of his parents up on the wall. The the took one had fallen down, and the hob, the Bilbo, the Baggins one. His dad was still up there. That's right. And now he's getting okay. Now he's walking over to the window, and he's looking out the window, and the bright light is coming through. We still don't have okay. Now he's reaching for his pocket. All right, hang on a second. Here, let me share this. Yeah, exactly. Oh, good. Brianna's here. Oh, Brianna, tell us the right answer. Yeah, sadly, I think the votes are splitting so that the wrong answer is going to end up being the one that's that's selected. It's okay. We don't have to be purely democratic. You know, we can still veto everybody. Uh, <laughs> okay. All right. Hang on a second. Let me uh, let me uh, let me make myself the presenter here. Oh, you did. Okay. I just Uh-oh. did. Brianna. I just did make you. Brianna's going with B. But we have to close. Oh, right. Unfortunately, we have to oh, close yeah. the thing. They have to oh, ironically, we can't like it. introduce uh, evidence until after the know. vote is done. That's... Okay. Well, then I'll just describe right. it then. So well, uh, hang on. Let me let me let me, get, let me let me let me do a different thing then. Let me uh, let me post this link so that you guys can all look for yourselves. There's the. This is the YouTube video I'm looking at. This is the Bilbo walking around bag end at the end thing. Okay, so now I've got him, and I'm. Well, well you're gonna first get ads. It's a video so, of animals. You know. Yes. Although I do like this ad. They're playing that Robin Hood and Little John song from the old animated oh, yeah, that's Robin cute. Hood movie. Um, what was his name? Roger Williams, Roger. Okay, well, once you get past the ads, yeah, I'm up at uh, minute uh, at the one fifteen mark, one minute and fifteen seconds into this YouTube video. He's reaching into his pocket. All right. He takes out the ring. All right. Right. We're getting Fellowship of the Ring music. He's looking down. He raises his eyebrow. Oh, okay. And then we shift to Ian Holmes' hand. That's the very last facial expression we ever get from Martin Freeman. All right, fine. Is that, like, 
eyebrow raising, contorting. This is so. This is what uh, Gabrielle and and um, uh, several people were pointing to. Right. This is what you guys were talking about. Lynn also. Right. I, I just apparently, uh, every single time I watched this film, apparently I was just asleep by this point. <laughs> I'm watching this like it's the first time I've ever seen it. Oh, boy, I don't remember seeing the cat. What is wrong with me? But is it distrust? Is it a distressful eyebrow? It's not amusement. Or is it just a uh, bemusement? Bemusement. Oh, that's a good question. Bemusement, not amusement. If we, yeah, if we construe, if we decide to construe B broadly as... Bilbo has a weird, uncomfortable relationship with the ring that at least makes us <laughs> uncomfortable, if not him, then sure, I agree, it's obviously B. But I think if we construe it specifically to mean Bilbo is disturbed by the feeling that he has about the ring, then I think it's more debatable. Like, I think... Uh, I, it's either I don't B or know, A. Yeah, I don't, know, I don't know how to interpret the facial expressions that either Martin Freeman um, um, or uh, Ian Holm are making. Like, they look contemplative. I think look, okay. I'm I'm I don't know. I'm coming around. I'm I'm coming around to to the B people after looking at this. I had forgotten about that particular facial expression too. I was basing my former analysis primarily on his conversation with Gandalf, and I remembered the like the way that it transitions mm-hmm. right to Ian Holmes, so that like we never get to say goodbye to Martin Freeman, right? It's just like suddenly he looks down and it's Ian Holmes' hand that he's looking down at, right? Um, so. But what I was forgetting was that facial expression, and thinking of that, I, I've got my own screen like frozen at like Martin Freeman's sort of contorted eyebrow raise there, and um, I, that looks like at the very least you have to call that a wry expression, and him, and and again, and I have to what, what mm-hmm. the thing I cannot help but link it back to is the last reference to the ring. Remember, we've just had the auction, right? So um, the way that the the way that the sequence has worked, right? We've had Gandalf and Bilbo and their final conversation on the borders of the Shire, then Bilbo coming over the rise and seeing Hobbiton again and going up and finding the auction in place, and then him walking through Bag End and fixing the pictures of his parents and then pulling the ring out of his pocket. So there are two things that are going on here through all three of those sequences, and that those are, you know, Bilbo returning home and finding who he is and the the token bag and stuff on the one hand, and Bilbo and the ring on the other hand. And the ring, the last involvement for the ring, we've been away from the ring throughout. The, the, the auction has nothing to do with the ring, right? His walking around the house has nothing to do with the ring until he pulls it out. And the last thing we got from the ring was him making up that lie to Gandalf. And there's this sort of sense of like, you know, the last thing we saw was him saying, I lost it. Now, keep in mind... Theoretically speaking, when Bilbo tells that lie, we as readers or as viewers, we don't know that it's a lie, do we? I mean, at that moment, for all we knew, he did lose it. I mean, we know what happens later on in later movies, so we know he didn't. But theoretically, if somebody had never read The Lord of the Rings and never seen The Lord of the Rings films, they might believe him when he said that. We don't have... And now he's pulling it out and revealing... Well, just to finish this so, for a second. Now so he's pulling it out and revealing the fact that he was lying. And therefore, his facial expression, I take, to be a kind of internal commentary on his own lie. Right? 
No, I said at the very minimum. I said at the very minimum distrust. it would be wrong. Be... Um, and I think I and I think you could go mm-hmm. a good deal further. Okay, I mean it could be. Yeah, yeah, and 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 I kept you safe, you know, kept t- you safe from. And Tim Fisher is right. Yeah, no, it's I mean, the history of the rain it theme. It's the, it's, it's the it's the it's the it's the the soundtrack theme that we get. It's not like it's the Nazgul theme or something like that, um, but it is the it, it is the theme that's playing during mm-hmm. the, you know Goadriel's prologue. That's yeah, the, the okay, but that only because I know. we know that that's the ring. Of co- theme well, of course, the rings. are we allowed? We, to yeah, we don't, we don't have to pretend we don't know what oh, we know. Yeah. We aren't allowed to bring in the frame. Because they're doing, because so they're doing it intentionally, right? Like they're not allowed they're... to include the frame. Absolutely, because it's part of this scene. It's not part of the frame. It's part of this scene. The the, the music that's playing Wait, behind him here is part of that. The... But, but Bilbo to... doesn't know what the rings. No, but we do, and it's part of I this know, scene. But Bilbo doesn't know what the rings theme is. How is that? Why, why are we? Why are we not allowed to include the frame? Because that. the because the whole question of it's in the riddle. I, I don't. No, 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 no. I don't no, but Trish, it's like the background music of any particular scene is part of that scene. It's telling the background music of any scene is part of that scene. Like so, that's uh-huh, here we go. Yeah, yeah. controversy. I understand that, but I, I just don't get that the I don't get that the addition of the music as evidence that he's distressful holds water. I can go with his look on his face. No, but it's Bilbo's a cue for us to under help us Bilbo interpret what what is going on in his face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it's not affecting. I don't think it's yes. no, I think it's the it ring. Is. That's the rings theme. The ring is the music is about the. See it, no, so, but, no, but the but so the idea. Yeah, obviously, obviously, it doesn't affect Bilbo. But the idea is, they're trying to communicate something with the scene. They're try They they want us to watch the scene and yeah. and 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 take something away from it. And in that sense, the music is a cue. It's you know, like it's a hey, remember the the Bilbo's staring at the ring, and he's kind of making a weird face. And by the way, here's the ominous ring music that we play whenever we want to. Every time there's a scene, every every time the ring's on the on screen, and people are doing something weird or having a weird relationship with it or feeling disturbed by it or whatever, um, this is the music we play. the 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 implication there is we want you to feel the same way about this scene that you are about other ring scenes yeah. and in that sense i do th- absolutely i, I, I do agree. think it i do think that pushes us toward b yeah yeah now it's, now now here's li- here's a little the, the, i don't agree several people are making <laughs> hang on hang on several people are making some really good arguments here um, i, 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 I want to bring the in the things that the that that, that the listeners are say, are saying mostly because i think they're right um uh, Michael Matoa and um, uh, uh, Karita um, Alexander um, are pointing out his body posture matters as much as his facial, facial expression here. Um, uh, Michael says, I don't understand the facial expression, but his body movement up to it is important. He shakes his head and closes his eyes right before he takes it out. And uh, and Karita says, you know, he seems reluctant to pull it out yeah. of his pocket. But, um, look at the way he's sort of twisting down. If, if this were just like, if the answer were A, if he really were comfortable with it or had become comfortable with it and viewed it as a trinket, he would pull it out of his pocket and just hold it out in front of him and be like, hey, look at this thing. Instead, he's like barely pulling out of his pocket and peeking down at it like he... Look at his expression. Oh, come on. How do you know how Bilbo would... We're doing... We're kind of splitting... splitting No, no, no. We are doing close... However, however, however... 
However, yeah. the, the eye close thing, the yeah. I, I think I think the the posture stuff I think is splitting hairs a little bit. But the yes. eye close thing, we have seen Martin yes. Freeman do repeatedly throughout the trilogy, and whenever he's doing it, he's doing it in the the every time we've seen him do it previously, we've interpreted that as look exactly. another scene where they're showing yep. Bilbo feels yep. weird about the ring. The eye close thing for me seals it. That, that is that's Martin yep. Freeman's. That's the cue he uses on his face to suggest I'm deeply yep. reluctant about this this object that I'm holding. Every time he does that eye close deep breath thing, it, it's almost always like you know. Uh, I feel uneasy. I just think that's. I think. I think we're just way, making way too many assumptions. I. I tend to think it's E. Frankly, I mean, I don't think there's a good argument totally for A. I don't think there's a good argument totally for B. I think it's E. I think it's just left. Well, so I couldn't fight with E that, as an answer. That we can have a debate like. Well, that. first of all, because I mean, there's first other of all, I, I have to categorically disagree with you there. You know, the other it side. is certainly not true that if if uh, that we wouldn't be able to have a debate like this if there was evidence because I've been in way too many literary debates to be able to accept that um but <laughs> but but um but, but i mean I, I i certainly agree with you true. if true. uh if if the voice of the people said e i couldn't fight with that i don't necessarily agree with that but but i mean one it is certainly a defensible position to say you know, basically, this is just another thing they really kind of dropped the ball on. Um, it's it's true. It's certainly true. I mean, you know, sort of uh, as you were just suggesting, Trish, if if the main thing we have to go on in order to answer this question is is Martin Freeman's facial expression in, in five seconds of video clip, um, it certainly shows us that they darn well right. didn't give us very much to work with. You know, they, they certainly failed to, do, to convey what they were trying to convey very clearly if that's all we have to work with. But based on what we do have to work with, based on what is there, that does seem to me the most, you know, having reviewed the stuff now closely, that, seems to, that B does seem to me the best explanation of what we do have. Again, I could still see E as saying, you know, really, we, we don't have that much. Well, you'll be happy. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and it's close. This is, this is, I think, rightly the okay. closest vote uh, of the day. Um, and I think, I think, you know, sort of all three positions are sort of defensible. Um, um, like I said, I could definitely say CE, but um, um, uh, yeah, yeah. And I agree. I also definitely agree with Brianna. Brianna says it's okay to overanalyze the acting here because it's a very nuanced performance that has a lot of subtext. Exactly. Close reading is all, you know, I, 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 I feel like overanalysis is what people who are resistant to close reading always say that, uh, that in reaction to We've it. Been doing... But Corey, you, you're a close reader, but you do I not. I probably do. I have never, maybe you do, actually. I should take this back, but I have rarely heard you base a huge like thesis on a phrase out of context of a whole story no i mean but in context seconds. yes the you, the choice of a single word <laughs> can be something that you can that can be the pivot in context uh, okay i also also this is i don't gonna... know I this guess maybe a... the question should have been what's Bilbo's relationship. Well, right. That's why we're that's why we're, we're making it up for public votes. Yeah, because <laughs> most people aren't going to go in and do five seconds. This has been a <laughs> this has been a continual. I mean, I I I'm I'm sort of inclined to say that you can you can definitely take the analysis of his posture and oh he's holding it like I I I think there's certainly a limit to how far you can take that. However, 
it has been a continuous narrative, both both in our discussions on on this show, and then also in the media coverage of the films, and and in conversations with the filmmakers right. about Martin Freeman's nuanced performance. Right, like anytime anyone's ever said anything about the way he's playing Bilbo, they've spent they haven't spent their time on. How did he deliver right. the dialogue? It's been, what is right. he doing with his face? Right. Right. What is he doing with his physicality and his body acting? Oh, look at I agree he, with that. Like, and... like, so, so I don't see, if that has been a continuous narrative throughout the films, I think we've accepted that as information now. That, that, if we're going to do that, then I want to look at every single scene where he uses the ring between the spider scene and this scene. I'm not going to switch, just, I'm not going to go just from the spider scene and then all of a sudden to this scene and make, make an assumption. I want to see what Martin Freeman does every time he uses the ring before I'm actually going to agree that this wry look on his face means something. No, I'm not going to do that now. But, I mean, if that's the argument, then, yeah, okay, show me, show me his nuanced performance every time he has the ring in his hand and decides to use it. Then maybe yeah. I'll come around to it. But I, I just don't see it. I don't see it. I think, there's been a, I think that there has been an evolution in his relationship with the ring from the spider time to now where he's gotten a lot more comfortable with having the ring. He doesn't distrust it anymore. He's thrilled that he has it. He's lied to Gandalf to get him off his back. And, you know, happily ever after. I mean, I really do think. But I also think that Jackson doesn't give us enough to really have that be definitive. So, I mean, I think A, E, and I think yeah. I've changed. I've changed from A to E, and I think a number of us have. Oh, I just don't I think, think there's enough. Well, well, I think that's definitely moving in the right, <laughs> right direction. Right. It's clearly not A. <laughs> it's obviously between him lying to Gandalf. And it's clearly and not him, B. It, it, between him lying to Gandalf and him... Um, uh, um, Doing, uh, you know, like, and and um, and sort of the ominous ending that they give us at the end. I, a, there. If there's any evidence for anything, it's B, and there's certainly not no, evidence. No, but Trish, for that's a. ridiculous. Oh, you can't say there's really no not. evidence for. It. You can say you don't agree, but you can't no, say that there's no way it could be B. Or that don't you don't think, think there's I enough. I don't think there's any evidence. I don't think a wry look on his face in a few <laughs> seconds at the end shows us that he's. You know, and I'm not allowed to use the frame. But if we well, did use the frame, it's obvious well, he's not distressed. Well, let's, let's do well. Let's do a thought well, experiment. We're going to use ring music. Let's use the frame. You know, I mean, well, gosh. Well, or, well, or I'll tell you what. I'll use Bill. Well, if no, I get to no, use the ring but music, Trish, I'll use Bill. I, that, that, I don't understand your resistance to the music he's at all. Definitely not distressed. I mean, the, the music is a cue to the audience for understanding the scene that we're watching. We're talking about the audience's view in order to the audience. We're talking about our reception of this of this performance. I mean, we're not talking about what's going on inside Bilbo's head. We don't know what's going on inside Bilbo's head. There are many times in movies that the audience. Of course, this happens in every single scene. Characters don't know about. So just because the audience is given a cue doesn't mean Bilbo knows that he should be worried about the ring. Okay, well that so is I don't that see is where certainly the music comes into it. That is certainly true, but there are also times when cues are used to push the audience right. forward. Right. How are we they, how are how, how we are supposed to interpret to the what the character's about. doing? Okay. That's fine, exactly. but that doesn't necessarily mean that's true in this instance. No, no, you're right. It doesn't mean it's <laughs> it doesn't mean it's true. But yeah, yeah, but yeah. so we have to make a judgment call. What do we think's going on? I mean, that's ultimately what it comes down to. Exactly. I, I think I, I would love to do a thought experiment of what would you consider definitive evidence um, a, apart from being beat over the head of Bilbo stating out loud expositionally, right, boy, I just right. don't know what to think about this ring. I sure do, you know, it sure has been useful, but boy, it makes me feel strange, which of course I, I think more hesitation on his part. I think if he'd spent maybe 10 seconds instead of 
you know, three seconds on his on his facial expression. If we'd gotten more out of, of out of Martin Freeman, I mean, I think we're reading an awful lot. Even though Martin Freeman is nuanced and all that great stuff, I think we're putting a heck of a lot into a very short space there to decide on distrust. If he had been more, if I if I'd gotten ten seconds, that was more of a frown on his face, looking at this. Oh my gosh, I don't know what to think of this. Then I'd be more prone to go well, I mean, to be on the B side but I just don't think we get enough which is uh, why I say E I don't think A or B is def- is defined at all I think so it's gonna, an E I don't think he leaves so it so for the record if, if I were to time the scene um, uh, from when I think from when it when it's clearly starting with him fiddling in his pocket to the end at, right it when is, he's making actually, his riot yeah. facial expression it's 13 seconds oh for, for the record sake. all right Jeez, what I mean is, if I had more clear facial expressions that I've seen in the past in the movie, I'd be. I didn't get that from him. I don't get this worrisome look in his face. That's just not what I think is. He just put his thing back up on the wall. He's gotten back home. He's really. I just don't get it. I don't get that he's looking at the ring distrustfully in that scene, for however many seconds it takes. Yeah, we probably should Um, move on. Well, we're running out of time, so we should probably move on to our our thing. Um, <laughs> but that's okay. The wrong answer won, so we're good. We, yes. we don't have a majority, but we have a plurality answer. Uh, B, um, and then among the, I, 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 I think, I guess among the hosts, yeah. it's two and again, to I'm one. Not hostile B, to the E answer B's at all. E, I mean, so. I, 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 that's so, I, it's very defensible to say that. Yeah, I mean, no, yeah. goodness knows. I certainly think in the big picture. You know what we were looking for here. How will they fit things together? Um, the answer is they didn't fit things together all that you know very clearly or all that well. Um, and, and hey, Yana, you got to be careful with that, man. You said yes, the listeners won the day, but <laughs> right, exactly. more than yes. half the listeners. Not a majority, not only a, a plurality. That's right. The listeners That's did not it. win. It, a, yeah, 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 a, a blo- large <laughs> block right. of the listeners won, but most listeners lost. <laughs> I would say B did not win yeah, in the sense yeah. of... It yeah, would be interesting. In I think though, I, it is hard. We should probably not open the poll as early I, next time because you can't change your vote once you vote, right? Um, so I think... Right, well, but not everybody. The fact so, is people are so slow voting that, you know, yeah. if you guys speed yeah. up... But if, once yeah. you've submitted your vote... Yeah. It, <laughs> maybe we'll, okay. Maybe we'll, maybe in one of our reunion episodes, this, yeah. we'll, we'll we'll ask people to rewatch the entire trilogy. Well, maybe in the extended edition, we'll get more yeah. you know indications. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. <laughs> Tobias says Let's the chat room this, one. Uh, <laughs> it, I, this is can under hold can under the chat the chat room block. Well, that's good. I'm glad we finished. And that is last most important after all. Yeah, I'm glad the last yes, riddle exactly. after after the serious after the, controversy. A, a, a thud in the first two riddles. Uh, yeah. Ah, the friend duel. Uh, so what's our? Oh. Oh. So when we say thrin, uh, uh, I guess somebody should read it. Does Thranduil's move toward Erebor reflect a clear change in his isolationist policy? And, and when I we think say when we meant his, his move actual, toward his Erebor, departure, that means he, yes. his leaving Mirkwood, which he's right. Yeah, which he's like, yeah. which he's like batten down. Right, he's told everybody close all the gates. Now he's leaving and taking his army to Erebor. Does and the word clear was put in there for a reason. Isolationist policy. Well, 
Well, and and I, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure we'll find a way to turn this into a, a controversial and confusing question. But when I read that and I interpret the words the the way that I the way that I usually would understand something like isolationism in political context, the answer to me is obviously yes. His previous isolation, classic isolationist stance was, I don't care what's going on in the outside world, and I'm staying out of it, and I'm just going to defend my borders. Now he's okay. mounting an invasion of a neighboring um, But here's the counter-argument. And getting involved the counter in argument other is, affairs. He's not invading anybody. He's traveling to an empty land in order to claim something that's just his own. His only interest there are, his, are those stones that belong to him and like yes. remind him of his wife. Um, so he's... Right. So he doesn't give, uh, he, he doesn't again, care at all about the lake man. He doesn't care at all about the dwarves. The fact that dwarves happen to show up is inconvenient. <laughs> this is the, this is the middle earth equivalent of neocon. We're <laughs> getting involved overseas. We're not invading. <laughs> You're invading our country. No, we're protecting your interest overseas. That's right. Yeah, yeah. He's not invading anybody's country because there's nobody there. And and he, so that I'm now I'm not saying that I am wholly yeah, convinced right. by that argument, but I'm saying that's the argument to say that, you know, go back to go back to Toriel's. Yeah, yeah, you know, this is our argument. fight thing, right? Does by coming out with his army, does this mean that Thranduil is basically saying, you know what, this kind of is our fight? Actually, let's go fight it, or? Not and and it's you know on the one hand I think you can easily say he's not joining in the fight he hasn't been convinced by Toriel not that he heard Toriel's argument it was only to Legolas but you know he's not been convinced by Toriel's point of view he's not saying yeah you know what we should be more proactive about evil let's go out and fight the evil instead of just battening down our hatches here at home um, what he's doing is being selfish it's just he's being selfish outside his boundaries instead of being selfish inside his boundaries that would that would be that one argument but the other argument is. Well, okay, if he's he, he's bringing an army, so that means, uh, you know, if he were just going to an empty country to claim his thing, why would he bring his full army to do that? By bringing his full army, he is clearly engaging in some kind of, like, major political action in the region, so therefore it right. is a deviation from right. his isolationist policy. Th- those, to me, seem to be the two major arguments. Right. But, yeah. That that I okay so that I that I accept, if I uh, and and I think Lincoln Lincoln echoes this true, if we're not saying okay we're going to interpret this strictly we're going to interpret isolationism in the classic sense but rather if we read it more generally as, do we think that Thranduil's yes. outlook on the world and his general character has changed? Is there has there been a fundamental shift in the kind of person he is and the way he views his role in the world when he leaves his own borders? The answer, I think, I think that answer is closer to no. Like, I don't yeah. think he, I don't think he dramatically sees the world uh, differently. Right. I think he just right. reassesses what action he should take. Um, he certainly. Oh, yeah, but wait, I think, wait! Is there any music? Is there any music we can key off? Yeah, of? is I there mean, a musical cue? <laughs> is there something going on in hey, the frame? Hey, you know, you joke, but actually, right had back uh, to the Lord the, of the Rings. The, the, had was there? the, um, for instance. Had the arrival of the elven army of the of the elvish army in in Dale have been accompanied by the same music that accompanied the arrival of Haldir at the Battle of Helm's Deep, it would really have changed my battle, view yeah, of yeah. what oh, was happening there. True, that's true. It would have. Yeah, that's like, a good point. 
or like the prologue, um, the prologue. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, the Last Alliance, Last Alliance uh, music. Of like it, it, that, music. So it's possible. It's possible that music could have. I don't remember anything like that. Uh, but no, no, no. Right. I'm, I'm, that, I was just going right. to say that's a really good. If it had happened, that would have been a very good example of the music. Uh, you know, letting us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I wasn't yeah. denying that that was the case. It's just in that other instance, I was. I think. Um, I, I think. I think that's a fair. I think. I think your point is fair, Corey. I think. I think. I think if we if we just read the words isolationism, you know, like in the classic sense, he's clearly not isolationist because he's gone from I'm just going to stay in my own borders to I'm now outside my own borders <laughs> with an army right. marching around, getting involved in the affairs of the world. But I think. But I think but, if we interpret it. You know, less strictly as is. You know, am I changing the way I view the world fundamentally? Then I think the answer is more more like no. I think he he's still he's definitely still Thranduil. He's basically Thranduil right up until right. the yeah. very right. end when he talks to to, well, um, he to, to. He still is because he's being self centered. I mean, he, he yes. still is being all about Thranduil. And, and actually, now that I think of it. What right. maybe isn't it just like Thranduil to take an army wherever right. he goes? Doesn't right. necessarily right. mean anything. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he really doesn't change it. He really has zero character development until the very end when he talks to Legolas and then right. to Tario. And even then, he's just feeling sorry for himself. Yeah, you, I mean, you could you could argue that. I, I, I think I think him I think him I I, I I think you could argue that him saying, "Hey, there's this ranger up in the north." Legolas, you should go check him out, get to know him. Oh, that's true. That is that I think is where we see a fundamental change away from isolationism. That's where we see him, right. You know, telling his son, "Look, go get involved." Right now, in now the, Ryan Crumley asks world. an excellent question, and it was just the direction that I was thinking too. Um, I am okay with all of this analysis, but there's one point that still needs to be reconciled with this view, and that is his bringing of food and supplies to the Lake Town refugees. Um, now you can easily argue that he does uh, he does that accidentally. Uh, that is, in the books, it's very noteworthy that the Elven King, the, uh, the Elven King and his army, are moving out and marching towards the mountain. They hear about the refugees by the lake, turn and take the entire army uh, out in a completely different direction, purely for the purpose of bringing aid to the men of Lake Town as they're on the shores of the lake. And the whole thing delays their return, their arrival at the mountain by many days. It is very clear in the book right. that the Elven King is motivated, like that he he takes actions do, you know, uh, for the purpose of reaching out to and helping the, the men of the lake. The, the way that... You gotta run? Okay, yeah, sorry about that. I Jared. hate to do this to you guys, but I gotta go. Yeah. I gotta go. That's okay. You guys continue on. Um, I I actually don't know. I think you guys have made a very good point. I'm actually tending toward yes at this point. Um, but I, okay. Corey may, depending on what you say, I could change my mind. <laughs> but just let me know okay, what it is cool. at the end, and I will then start to tabulate results. Bye, everybody. That's a horrible <laughs> way for me to end, but I hate goodbyes. So I guess this right. is probably right. Well, this is All just right, the I'll first ending. <laughs> That's right. Or actually, That's right. this That's is right. the fifth of ten endings. Third ending. I'll see you at the Silmarillion. I'll see you in the Silmarillion in a few All right. weeks. Good. Okay, bye. Um, bye, Trish. So, okay, okay. So, <sighs> so, so just to... Uh, to, to, to... I, uh, I, I, think, I think him delivering the supplies even right. still, I think this also comes down to how do we want to construe it. Again, if, we cons- if we're interpreting isolationism in a more strict sense, then 
it's obviously right. he is no longer isolationist. He's getting involved. He, you know, like even if he was marching with his army, if he was he still sort of wanted to be isolationist and not be involved, then then the answer would be then then, then he wouldn't have brought any supplies. They'd be like, look, I'm really sorry to hear about what happened to you, but I can't. You know, I don't want to intervene or right. get involved. I don't want to be entangled in your foreign affairs. Um, even if he's being selfish, even if he has selfish motivations and trying to manipulate them by giving them supplies, that's still that's still not isolationism. It's still getting involved. On the other hand, if we're saying is his is his perspective on the wider world, um, you know, is he still fundamentally interested in his own interests and not interested in helping other people? Then I think then then I don't think bringing he's right. not. I don't think he's right. being. I do think that that's a, that's a big difference in the film. And by having the refugees at Dale to begin with. He doesn't have to go out of his way, right? He goes there to establish his yeah. um, uh, his base of operations, if in case there are any military operations there. And oh, it's full of refugees, and so he gives them food. I, you know, it, it, it that that could just as easily be seen as manipulative as uh, as benevolent on his part. Um, I agree with that. Um, but you're right about it, so it's depending on how we define isolationism. And, and I agree with, I think it was, um, I think it was Sharon earlier who said um, that, yeah, it was Sharon Hoff who said that, you know, self-serving is not the same thing as isolationist. Um, you know, so it's true that we, we uh, have yeah. to be careful not to just conflate those things. Um, acting for his own benefit um, without being truly motivated by the benefit of others um, he could be that and still be non-isolationist, basically. Right. Um, and it and it doesn't. And I don't think the right. conundrum was designed to mean a change of heart we in the sense of like he becomes yeah. a great and generous guy, but rather he, his 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 political stance. Yeah. You know, it, and, and because that was very emphatic in the desolation of Smaug, um, was you know. The elves are for the elves, and we're going to keep our doors shut, and we're going to, you know, Toriel is like, we should find the source of this evil, and he's like, just keep them away from our borders, and that's all we care about, right? Um, the, Toriel's this is our fight um, speech was the climax of that theme, in you know, of that concept yeah. in, in, uh, in The Desolation of Smaug, and the turning point of her running away and Legolas chasing after her to Lake Town... Um, was was sort of the deciding point in that. So right. so I mean again remembering where the thing is coming from, you know, before the third film came out, that was definitely the kind of thing that we were thinking about. So I think we should be defining isolationism in the in those terms. Yeah, that's a good question. I and I I think we have to we also have to figure out like what cuz cuz here's the question, his his apparent isolationism before is it truly isolationism? Like I don't want to be entangled in the affairs out uh, out there, or or was it more right. just you know basically right. selfishism manifesting as as isolationism? That that like what, why on earth did he when he departs when he marches his army toward the mountain? Is it in fact a change of his previous policy, or is it just a continuation of his previous policy? But opportunity opened the door that. He would have marched on that mountain much <laughs> right. sooner, but there was a giant dragon there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, he had no, he had, he's, he has no interest in being involved in the outside world, uh, um, other than other than you know like uh, how it might benefit him. 
previously there was no benefit to him to leave his borders. Uh, but as soon as the giant dragon's dead, now all of a sudden it's like, oh, good, let's go get that stuff. I've been brooding about it for for yeah. you know several for for several centuries now, and just thought I had no chance of ever recovering it. And the first, ch- as soon as the dragon's dead, the first chance he gets, he's out of there. That that looks dis- that that to me. That to me seems less like someone who was true, well and truly isolationist, and more like somebody who was just making excuses for, for, um, for right. not wanting to, you know, put his stick his neck out. It looks like somebody that was hiding um, behind his walls, and then as soon as it was safe and he has a chance to to, to profit, um, uh, he uh, he mm-hmm. you know he mm-hmm. he leaves his walls. Yeah, Dominic uh, Nardi is saying it might be better to describe his previous stance as. Uh, as a bunker mentality rather than isolationism. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> so Kirk, Kirk, I, 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 says, I think the I'm question inclined. now was threat dual isolationist in the first place. <laughs> that kind of does seem like the question we're now asking. Um, which is a little bit unfair, of course. Uh, to say, to turn the question from does his policy change to were we correct in assessing his policy <laughs> when we made, when we formed the question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's... That, 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 there's, there's some reasons, there's some yeah, reasonableness yeah. to that question. I, I sort of have the same concern. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure uh, we were really right. correct in characterizing him think, as purely isolationist before. I think in thinking what yeah, we were, yeah, mentality. I like that. Trying to think back into the frame of reference that we were using then, it kind of seems to me that the most sensible uh-huh. answer is probably yes. Um, that he does. Here, I'm thinking in particular. There's one bridge moment that we're forgetting. Which is, mm-hmm. we saw him battening down the hatches uh, in in his halls, and then we saw him arriving at Dale. But there's that scene in the middle where his envoy comes and finds Legolas and Toriel in Lake Town and summons Legolas back home. Um, and Legolas says, no, I'm not going back home. And then we see Thranduil coming out, and I wonder... To what extent is his decision influenced by Legolas there? That is to say, had Legolas said, are we to understand or, or, or are we to suspect that if Legolas had been like, okay, Dad, I'm coming home, sorry, Toriel, mm-hmm. um, and he goes back home, that Thranduil stays there, or at least, like, awaits developments and tries to secure his, or, you know, or is his moving, a- because it kind of seems to me that there's a little bit of, like, um, my heir is, my son and heir is like out in a dangerous, uh, you know, in, in like a, 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 a deeply unsettled and dangerous region right now. I'm going to go out with my army and, uh, settle things. I wonder if Legos comes back, if, if basically is Thranduil saying, come back with me so you can march with my army to the Lonely Mountain. Um, the reason I'm bringing all of this up is if my suspicion that Legolas's decision not to return does have an influence, that's an argument for change. That he does change his policy 
Um, and that one of the thing mm-hmm. that one, one of the crucial things that leads to that is Legolas's refusal to come. Since Legolas is going to be engaged, has decided not to be isolationist, has decided to take a hand mm-hmm. in what's going on in the region, then his father's going to bring along the army to take a really firm hand in what's going on to try to secure both his gems and his son. What do you think? You buying it? Hmm. Yeah, I... Man, I don't know. Uh, I, I think we have to make it... I think, I think the real... I think the real... To me, it really hinges on how we want to interpret the word isolationism or how we want to construe his, his, his original policies. Because I really... I don't think... I don't think his move toward the mountain... Um, I don't think his move toward the mountain mm-hmm. represents mm-hmm. a fundamental change in his outlook on the world and his character. I, I really don't think he's changing significantly. I think I think he changes more toward the end. Um, so the question is, do we want right. to call his previous policy isolationism or not? Uh, it, you know, if we cons- if we if we interpret what he was doing before as isolationism in the classic sense, then I think I think it's undeniable that leaving his borders is not isolationist, and therefore his isolation his isolationism right. has changed, even if his character as a person has not. If we want to say. Eh, it's it's like Dominic said. Nah, it was really more of a bunker mentality. He wasn't. He was more bunkered in, unless um, you know, and just trying to protect his interests. And that 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 right. you know, what changes right. is not him, but the world. That that his policies are the same, but the world circumstances have changed. So therefore, his actions change. Then I think the answer is no. He didn't. You know, he, his policies aren't right. changing. Um, though, of course, you can you can just to to muddy the wa- the waters one step further. You can also say. That he changes his policies without changing, you know, his heart or his attitude. Um, it's just a question yes. of pursuing different That's tactics true. to uh, to achieve the same general end. Um, uh, yeah, uh, Lincoln Alpern asks an interesting question: <clears throat> If we changed the word isolationism in the original question, would that then create an obvious, you know? Would there be an obvious answer? Is that word simply a stumbling block at this point? In other words, and I don't, I don't, I don't think. I mean, I'm trying to recall exactly what the spirit of it here was, and I think it, it, it is more about, as Yana was just saying, it's it's less about isolationism technically and more about change. Um, and if he if he if he changes, um, and I think it probably is more of a about a question about the changing of his heart than the changing of his tactics. But, um, but let's see. What do people think? I'm gonna launch the poll here. What do you guys think? Mm-hmm. Let's uh, let's see. Let's 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 yeah. Let's, let's launch let the, it. Let the people speak. Yeah, throw this to the crowd now. I think we can probably work with the wow. Okay. Um. Yeah. So far. Definitive. Um, only got about half the people voting uh, so far, but it's it's more. Um, Apparently we've swayed people with our <laughs> ignore the ignore the clear wording of the question. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, we'll we'll give people a little bit more time to vote here, as we still only have just over fifty percent voting. But um, uh, but it's it's uh, oh, it's he's starting moving towards evening out a little bit actually. So yeah, we should we should let people go here. Um, 
Yeah, and Karita, I agree that he does change over the course of the movies. But again, the question here, and, and here we, I think we do have to insist on uh, the wording of the question or else the whole question, just it just becomes a completely different question. It's not, does he change over the course of the movies? Because I agree with you, Karita, I think he does too. Um, but does the move towards Erebor reflect a change? Um, does he march on the mountain because he has changed? Is there something in him that has changed, and that change leads him to march on the mountain? Um, and uh, that is harder for me to answer yes to. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, yeah, Karita, exactly. I do think his changing comes after his move. In fact, I don't think he really changes until, you know, like the middle of the battle. Um, you know, his conversation with Legolas, but actually I think that's too late. I think he's already changing by the time he has that final confrontation with Legolas. And you can tell on account of how little yelling he does in that final scene. You know, had he, I think that if Legolas had come in the middle of film two and said like, Dad, I, I'm leaving forever. You know, like he does at the end of film three. Um, I think that Thranduil's reaction to that is much more violent. And like he argues with him and stuff. But notice he doesn't even argue with him. He accepts Legolas's decision right away. Um, and I think that his acceptance of Legolas's decision is a sign of change that has already happened. And that, you know, and where I would place it is a combination of his confrontation with Toriel, um, you know, like when they actually draw weapons on each other, combined with his conversation with Toriel when she's um, uttering enormously cliched lines over the body of Kiwi. Um, that the, those the, those moments are where I would pinpoint Thranduil's actual change, um, but okay, it has ended up closer than it was at the very beginning. But I think we can, we're running out of time, so we should close it anyway. Most people have the chance to vote here. Well, everyone has had the chance. Most people have actually voted, um, and the 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 uh, no's have it in precisely a two to one. Measure it was like eighty twenty at the very beginning. Um, it moved up to sixty seven thirty three, so um, it got it narrowed towards the end of the voting. But um, it's still a pretty clear vote. So okay, cool. So we have a no there. Um, all right. Well, and with that comes the end of our speculation and discussion of the films until we get back to the extended edition later on. Um, but uh, thanks, Dave. Thanks for agreeing to do this with me three years ago. And, yeah, thank uh, you. Yeah. 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 This has oh, been uh, this has been great fun. This is uh, this utterly uh, I, sure I, did. This utterly sure transformed. Did. And actually, my I wanted to end on that films. note too. Um, um, how much I'm talking about pinpointing Thranduil's change. Mm -hmm. um, how much I have changed uh, in the course of doing these podcasts. Um, I, I, I have changed my isolation. Changed policy, your isolation uh, quite policies. definitively. Exactly. Well, that, and just my the way that I interact policies. with the films, and I, this was born back, born home to me very firmly this past weekend. Um, this past weekend, we had our Lord of the Rings movie marathon in Boston, um, which was awesome. It was really cool. The food was wonderful, and we had uh, uh, my favorite. My favorite meal was. Um, 
well, second breakfast was pretty good. I still have some of the leftover bacon in my fridge, actually. But um, uh, but uh, the lunch was my favorite meal. We did a, an unexpected party luncheon, so we had like a bunch of the things that uh, Bilbo served to the dwarves uh, in Chapter 1 of The Hobbit. We had uh, pork pies and salad, which is what Bomber ordered, and we had cold chicken and pickles, as Gandalf told Bilbo to get out of his larder. Uh, and we had uh, seed cake. It was really good. Um, but... To me, the most striking thing... This was the first time I had just sat down and watched the extended editions of the Lord of the Rings films in years. It might be five years since I've actually watched all three of those. Because even when I was doing the Lord of the Rings marathons at the college, um, I, 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 I was doing almost all of my time cooking. <laughs> like I didn't know I actually watched the movies. I let the students watch the movies, and like while they were watching the movies, I was like bustling around preparing food. Um, so... It's been a long time since I've sat down and watched those movies, and it was really noticeable to me the whole the, the very different experience I had and the very different attitude I had toward the films um, than I had. I mean, I, I I've long since gotten over my knee jerk purism, um, which I had very strongly, especially when I was in high school. But I found, you know, in retrospect, mm-hmm. that is, from the post riddles in the dark retrospect that a lot of the commentary that I used to make, that I would have made in times past about the films, was still really fundamentally based on very little other than they did this wrong in the films because it's not like how it was in the books. Um, And, you know, sort of a more or less nuanced Mm -hmm. expression of that. Um, I, I, I realized in watching the films that I had never really watched the Lord of the Rings films from the full-blown perspective that I have been advocating for the Hobbit films from the beginning, that we have to take them on their own terms to try to understand the story that they're telling, try not to forget the books, but to accept this as, you know, a work of art on its own, and it's not a question of is it doing justice to the books or not exactly, it's just a question of, you know, when you look at it from the point of view of how good of a story is this, and what is this story doing? Um... And then after you answer that question, comparing with the books and thinking about how those two stories work or don't work together. Um, and the main uh, reaction that I had in this is, I think, perhaps another way in which I was influenced in coming from Riddles in the Dark and several years of close consideration of the Hobbit films. I was blown away by how good those movies are. They are really good. Um Mm-hmm. especially, you know, from this past, not just this past year, but these past three months of reacting to the third Hobbit film and and lamenting on how little things were brought together. They tie stuff together so well in those films, and not just at the end of the third film, but all the way through. I mean, the, the, the story arcs within each three films um, and the way that they introduce you know, several Mm -hmm. dominant themes within film one, and then, you know, have really satisfying, some really satisfying closure to that theme by the end, at the end of film one. And then in film two, they begin with the consideration of some other themes, but they're connected, they're building on the themes from the first film. Um, and I mean, it was, I was just blown away, um, by, by those. And, uh, um, 
you know, and, and Karita exactly. Karita has partic- has exactly characterized my previous relationship with the Lord of the Rings films. Um, and I, th- Karita, I think you're just talking about yourself, but you're speaking for me too. Karita says wanting to love the movies, but too distracted and cranky to pay attention to the movies in their own right. That was exactly how I was. You know, I would like be watching the Two Towers and be thinking like, okay, like I really like a lot of these things, but like oh, da, da, Treebeard and oh, Farmier and uh, you know, um, and I couldn't get away from that. I still, I still hate Treebeard um, uh, in the film, but it, but it, it, it's, I, I, it, it's, it's different. Like to me, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a side light. You know, I mean, it's a, it's a footnote. Um, the fact that Treebeard yeah. in the movie is stupid and doesn't work very well um, is, is, uh, is, 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 is a side note. It's only a minor blemish, really. It's a major blemish when you're comparing with the books, right? And you're thinking about how awesome Treebeard is in the books and how ridiculous he is in the films. It's hard. It's it 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 becomes a blemish so big it's hard to overlook. But you know, when you're not doing that, it was really much much easier. Mm-hmm. And I I I I really admired those as films. And I've been saying for years, like they're really really good as movies. But a lot of the adaptation choices they make are questionable. And I agree with that still. Um, but, but I was just much more impressed by the first half of that sentence. You know that they that they really really are good movies and they hold together excellently well. Even the Arwen stuff that was another thing that was of of all of the sub plots of the of the Lord of the Rings films, the one that jumped out at me most, the one I felt like I was watching for the first time, was all the Arwen stuff. All the Arwen stuff. When I was, I could not get away. In in the past, I could not get away from the fact that I was just like, "What the heck is going on here? Like, are, what, what? Why is there any involvement of Arwen at all? I mean, other than like, we want to get her on screen, which like, okay, whatever. But I didn't get it. It works. It works re- again. If, if once I was able to back off from that. And just think about like okay, what themes are that what you know what 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 story is this theme is this uh, film developing what themes is it really bringing out, especially all of those, you know sort of plot wise perfectly extraneous scenes about Arwen and the two towers in the first half of the two towers especially, actually worked really really well, um, you know I, I I really I really like that a lot so anyway it's um I was I was. Uh, this is all to say in a, you know, basically, you know, I, I owed that experience to you guys. Like, you know, you guys going through these films with me and, and, uh, you know, helping over the course of these years to kind of train me to begin looking at, uh, at this stuff differently and just have really a fundamentally different relationship, not just with these films, but with adaptations in general. Um, it's, uh, uh, it, it's it's really it's really opened up in many ways, kind of a new world for me. So, Brianna, Brianna, let's let's not get carried <laughs> That's away. Right. Nobody's That's claiving right, yeah. to love. I, I, I still and I still I still agree with what I've said before that I think the Hobbit films interact with the text in much more interesting ways. Um, I still think that, but um, but uh, nevertheless, um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I definitely, definitely, I'm, I'm amazed, I'm amazed to hear that you feel like uh, it's um, impacted you so much, because, because you, for me, have always been the voice of um, moderation and reason when looking at these things and not just knee-jerk hating them, whereas I was a knee-jerk hater. Uh, But I haven't gone back, I haven't, I, I, but I have the same feeling you do, too, you, you did, that I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've watched 
the Riddles in the Dark, or Riddles in the Dark, the Lord of the Rings films, um, with the same with with the same sort of Hobbit um, uh, uh, perspective, Hobbit film perspective that I've been watching these films with, you know, informed by my experiences of doing this podcast and interacting with folks. Um, I don't think I'll ever love them, and I, and I and I wonder whether I could actually sit and watch them by myself uh, and and maintain and and have this kind of general sort of open mind because because quite frankly. I don't. I don't have a right. whole lot of interest right. in rewatching the Hobbit films by myself either. <laughs> um, but I think. But I. But I would love to. I wish I could have come to the to 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 the event, or that I'll be able to attend one in the future. Because I do think. I think, given an opportunity to sit and watch them with other fellow thoughtful fans and discuss them, I think I actually yeah. would have a, yeah. a, a different. And yeah, yeah Yana was just saying, you know, so. talking about how many people who are led to read the books through the movies, which is a great thing. Yeah, and and. Yeah, can I share a, a, a very personal story mm-hmm. here? At the Lord of the Rings movie marathon this past weekend, um, my 11-year-old son, Nicholas, came with me uh, to the marathon, and he was seeing the movies for the first time. And he's never read the books, because he, we, he and I have read The Hobbit together a long time ago now, and, um, well, three or four years ago anyway. And um, But he never, I'd asked him, if he wanted to read the Lord of the Rings, but he he kind of was sort of lukewarm about it, and I didn't want to. I've I've always I've I've never wanted to push, because I mean he knows it's my job, right? And the last thing I wanted was to have my son grow up feeling like you know Tolkien was like this duty, right? It's like the family business, you know, that he's got to, you know. So I I I, I wanted to let it kind of come from him, and I never pushed him, and. Um, so he watched the movies for the first time, and he and he'd, he'd never seen them, and you know he's he he is not very uh, demonstrative, uh, my son. Um, so I couldn't, I didn't get a clear read on his reaction to it. You know, he said, he was like, oh yeah, it, it, I liked it. It was kind of interesting. And, uh, but then yesterday he says like, I think I want to start reading uh, the books now. And then we, I was looking at something on his iPad yesterday and as he had changed his desktop on his iPad to the map of Middle Earth. And I was, I, 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 I about started crying when I saw oh. that. <laughs> I mean, it was, uh, it was just <laughs> the most adorable thing that's happened to me in a really long time. Um, and so I get, so, and, and honestly, like, it's, you know, my thought was like, you know what, um, it's like, I, I feel like I want to write Christopher Tolkien about that. <laughs> you know, um, that's, uh, that's that's you know I'm thinking about Christopher's comments about how you know how how the movies have reduced the impact of the books to zero, um, and, uh, and and I was just like man boy like mm-hmm. now I have like a deeply personal testimony to how to how that is not true and we'll see I mean maybe he'll read the book and hate it who knows um, but um, uh, but but still like the, the 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 fact that that you know that spark was uh, was lit um, is uh, is that was uh, that was pretty awesome for me personally but again it was just it was it was really neat to have you know sort of to see another example of that um uh looking forward but anyway we should probably let people go um as i said this is not um uh you know this is uh um rather than you know parting with gandalf's words at the gray haven you know and saying you know uh, i will not say do not weep and all that kind of thing i feel uh I feel much more like Gandalf saying goodbye to Bilbo at the end of chapter one of the Fellowship of the Ring, you know, saying goodbye for the present. Um, because, of course, uh, uh, 
what Gimli says in the Return of the King, right? You know, the what, what one of the line which I always th- thought was one of the saddest lines in the whole uh, in in all of the Lord of the Rings. You know, when he says, uh, you know, I I I fear that we shall we, we shall not all be gathered together ever again. Um, I uh, I don't think that's true. <laughs> I suspect yep. that most of us will be gathered together again in a few weeks. So uh, so this doesn't exactly seem like a very melancholy parting. Um, <laughs> Now we get to move on to uh, the Silmarillion film, uh, which I have been doing a lot of. I've just uh, I've been rereading the Silmarillion again, and of course I'm doing the Book of Lost Tales Part Two in my academy class right now. So you know I've been thinking about that a lot. We just did, we just finished the Turin story um, <clears throat> on Wednesday night of this past week, the Book of Lost Tales version of the Turin story, and I, which has been really eye opening for me. I mean I've read it before, but I. Um, I was just uh, blown away by the differences um, I, and how much I love the Book of Lost Tales version is now like totally my favorite version of the Turin story, um, and uh, oh, certainly my favorite version of the Turin character. Mm. Um, and anyway, so I just, I just, I, I just love this. So anyway, yes, I've been uh, doing lots of uh, Silmarillion film thinking, uh, and I'm really excited about it. So we will be, we will be in 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 in, in contact soon. Keep an eye on. Um, that keep an eye on the the Mythgard social media on my Tolkien professor social media. We'll, we'll make an announcement, I'm sure, on the Riddles in the Dark uh, pages and things as well um, when we're when we're going to announce it. We 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 won't um, we won't start the Silmarillion film discussions in a corner certainly. Um, and I will say, if you want some sort of setup for it, the first discussion we clearly have to have we we clearly have to have. We're not going to be jumping right into the Ainuindale at the beginning. We have to decide some basic framework and approach questions. Um, and it may take more than one episode to decide all of those mm-hmm. things that we need. So, what I would encourage you to do your homework um, is to be thinking thinking about those big picture questions, not just what are your opinions about how we should frame it, but what are the kinds of questions you think we need to be answering as we approach this and as we decide to, as we figure out how to um, kind of approach this project and how to, and how to frame it from the beginning. So be thinking about that um, because those are the things that are going to, that we're going to be focusing on in our first uh, uh, film film episode. So, but thanks everybody. Thanks. Oh, ye faithful riddles in the dark listeners and fans. And, uh, we, uh, we look forward uh, to our next adventure here. Uh, and, but we will say for today, thanks for listening and Godspeed. <laughs>